This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears. Multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Mobile hunters, if you're interested in upping your mobile game, then head to tetherednation.com and check out their saddle gear. There are a few things that you can buy that will actually help you become a better deer hunter or give you the freedom to hunt any tree or any situation. This reason is why I started saddle hunting in the first place and why I use Tethered's gear. I can honestly say that Tethered's saddle gear has changed how I hunt for the better. Big tree, little tree, from the ground, it doesn't matter. I'm untethered by my gear to hunt the best setup for the situation instead of hunting for a tree that my gear can use. My current course setup consists of the Phantom Saddle, Tethered One Sticks, and the Predator Platform, and along with an assortment of their accessories. So if you want to up your mobile game, head over to tetherednation.com. If you're like me, you spend a lot of time pouring over maps, looking at weather data, all in an effort to help predict when and where my best times are to hunt. It'd be nice if there was a reliable source with all this information in one place. Enter the Spartan Forge app. Unlike some other predictive apps on the market, Spartan Forge was created from military combat intelligence experience tailored for hunters and stands at the nexus of machine learning and white-tailed deer hunting. No more man-made algorithms. This is a predictive model based on real GPS collared deer data, historical and predictive weather, and the next level of mapping imagery, all at my fingertips. I've had an opportunity to use the desktop version last year and have been using the iOS app this season, and it has replaced all my other mapping tools. Visit SpartanForge.ai and sign up today, or head to your iOS or Android app store and download it today. Welcome to the Truths from Stand Deer Hunting Podcast brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 271. Today, I'm joined by my buddy, Greg Litzinger, to talk about learning from the past and making a plan for future success. So stay tuned. What is up, everyone? Happy Wednesday to you. Hope you're doing well. Hope you are feeling fine. It is hard to believe that I think that we're at the end of February here, um, which is good and bad. Maybe it means spring's just around the corner, and I'm 
admittedly uh, ready for the cold weather to be uh, to be gone, ready to do some more stuff outside and uh, stuff in the yard and have a fire pit outside all the summer spring spring slash summer things that that we like to do. Um, but what I will say is that I did not get nearly as much scouting done in February as I had hoped to. Um, hopefully I'll get out tomorrow. I'm actually recording this up front. I usually do everything on my editing stuff. Like I think I mentioned this before on Sundays, um, before the week gets started, I'm actually doing this on Saturday today. Uh, cause we have a little soiree here at the house that the, the, that the wife has put together. Um, so no scouting, uh, today necessarily. So hoping that I can get out tomorrow and get some work done, uh, on a, on a Sunday. Um, otherwise I'm going to feel like I'm really behind the eight ball because next week, if weather permits, depending on the snow situation. I'm planning to head to the, um, the area that I started scouting last year and have been kind of talking about and hoping to get back to, uh, this year, maybe to put on some, some more hunts, you know, with some, some decent deer that are, that are around there. And so the plan is to try to get back there next week. And if that happens, you know, behind the eight ball yet again, however, I will say that locally, I feel pretty good about all my spots. It's more just kind of tightening them. Um, and a little further in, in investigation, if you will. I don't know locally if I'm going to be adding any spots necessarily this year uh, that I haven't hunted in the past. I'm revisiting some ones that I've uh, maybe scouted a couple years ago and hunted two, three years ago and haven't really touched since. Uh, I did a little bit of that in the last scouting session that I did, or actually the first scouting session I did for the off season. Uh, revisited some old ground and you know reexamined it. I usually always have cameras on those just to kind of monitor. Um, and, uh, just spent some time, time there, you know, a couple weeks ago and, and found a couple spots that might be worth, um, in, investigating and the trail camera data wasn't, uh, wasn't too bad. There was a decent buck that made it through that lived. So, you know, a lot of what I'm doing this year, at least locally is just kind of tightening the spots that I have, uh, you know, further examining where the pressure is, um, in relationship to where I'm setting up and stuff like that. Are there any new tree stands? Are there any, you know, anything like that? Are there any new flagging tape or access trails or something like that, that were, that weren't there whenever I initially kind of, uh, scouted it, you know, learned it and, you know, started, started to hunt it. And so that's really what the game plan is here, but, uh, I'm not going to belabor this up front. We're just going to kind of get, uh, jumped into today's show. Have a cool show for you guys today. Have my buddy, you know him, you love him. Greg Litzinger on Mr. Bow hunting fiend. Always love to get together with Greg, not just, you know, He's a good buddy of mine. We, you know, we talk pretty often just, you know, off, offline phone calls, text messages and stuff like that. But it's always good to just kind of sit down and talk deer hunting with him. Cause he's just a guy that I've learned a ton from and always just appreciate his perspective, uh, whether we're just chatting or whether we're out scouting together. And what we're doing today is something I really like to do, um, which is at the end of every season. And I start this, you know, prior to the podcast, the podcast really kind of comes about once I kind of get my thoughts together. Um, but I always try to go through a reflective period of the season and what things I've done right, what things I've, I've done poorly, what things I need a lot of work on, what things am I getting better at? And just an overall assessment of my approach to the, to the season. You know, that's just typically the way I kind of start my, start my off season. And then it's always fun to kind of bounce those ideas off of a buddy, you know, cause I think a lot of us probably all go through that same thing. Maybe we do it a little bit differently, but you know, if there are things that we missed or that we realize that we missed during the course of the season, you know, we usually want to kind of go back and fine tune them. And that's what Greg and I do on this podcast is we kind of go through what I refer to as the good, the bad, and the ugly of the season and what we're doing to kind of correct those or in hindsight, 
you know, what we could have done differently for a different outcome, if it's a particular hunt or access or whatever the case is, or just overall strategy or camera strategy or just intel gathering of a place even that maybe we were completely off the mark on. Uh, so we cover all of that. But the one thing that we get to toward the end of the uh, toward the end of the podcast is a really kind of interesting strategy for qualifying whether we're in, you know, a buck's core area or transition area. Um, you know, uh, a lot of times we'll try to qualify that through our scouting and that's probably the best way to do it is boots on the ground. But let's be honest, we don't all have all the time in the world to be out into the timber. I'm a prime example of that. Here we are at the end of February and I've been out and I've been out to scout twice, you know, and usually I, I like to have kind of almost had my local scouting done or almost done by, by this point, I'm just not there. And it's just par for the course, you know, you have career, you have family, uh, obligations, things like that, uh, can kind of, uh, limit some of that. So Greg has a really slick way of kind of determining, you know, once you find some good areas, uh, kind of tightening the screws without actually even being in the timber to, t- to determine whether or not you might be in a quarry area or a transition area, because those two things, knowing those two things, whether, you know, which, which area you're in, can go a long way in kind of helping determine the strategies that you're going to use to hunt that particular spot, you know, uh, one of which would be, would be access depending on how close you might be to, to betting. So, uh, stay tuned to the end for that one. Cause Greg drops some knowledge on us at the end. So with that, we'll go ahead and jump into today's podcast. And as always, I want to thank you all for listening. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of The Truth from the Stand, a deer hunting podcast. I am with my brother from another mother from the Garden State. You guys are used to him. I mean, he's almost like the pseudo co-host on him. I don't know, man, between you and Chad, I feel like I should just get like, get you like placards or something for that are worthless. (laughs) You know, but cards that mean nothing. Yeah. I'll get you guys some truth from the stand business cards. Yeah. You know, it doesn't get you yeah, anything. Yeah. In fact, it probably gets you thrown out of yeah. some places. <laughs> what is this? Right. But I got my buddy, Mr. Greg Litzinger on. Um, if you guys have listened to this show for any amount of time at this point, you know that at some point during the end of the season, I usually do some wrap up and it's usually either with you or Chad, quite honestly. Um, you know, I usually try to have a good buddy on him, you know, that we've stayed in touch over the course of the season and we kind of, you know, knew how each other's season has went. And, you know, Greg's one of those guys, probably not shocking any, any of you guys that we stay in touch all throughout hunting season. Lots of, yeah, I know. Shocker. Lots of texting, uh, you know, bouncing stuff off of each other, sharing maps and stuff like that. Just trying to, uh, you know, you know, just pick each other's brains to see if we can, you know, figure some things out or put up, get a beat on something. And so, Today, what we want to do is really just kind of go through, you know, our season this, you know, this past year, you know, it's always good to kind of go through the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, You know, we try to practice what we preach (laughs) to a degree, which is, you know, when you go through a season, um, you kind of take a look once you get a little bit of distance from it and you can gain some perspective and you're not in it trying to make decisions like every day on the fly and be able to kind of look back and see where you've made mistakes. You know, the glaring ones are always easy to see, right? Like, you know, I have a couple of them this year of not getting shots off when I should have, or one where I, well, two actually one in state, one out of state. Um, but there's like those smaller ones, like, you know, access that like in hindsight, you're like, ah, man, now that I know more about this spot or whatever, you look back and you're like, man, I made more mistakes than I thought I did. And that's just kind of, you know, growing mm-hmm. as, as a bow hunter. And so that's really what we want to do today is kind of go through all that, through that nuance and start our grieving process. Cause oh. 
you can't move forward until you grieve. So we're going to grieve. It's not a problem to accept it. <laughs> you got to go through the grieving process. So we're going to grieve the deer season, the bow season that has passed, so we can fully focus and, and run from that demon. Run from that demon <laughs> and be able to move forward toward next bow season uh, with a positive mindset. Right. Yes. How do you feel about that? Is it, do you need a therapy session? It sounds yeah. like you do, man. It's like, it sounds well, like season, season was a good, you know, punch in the gut for five months, you know? Right. So many, I came out of the gate hot and then it was like, it was just yeah. fizzled out. Yeah. It's uh, we'll go through like what we did well, what we did bad and, and, and all that stuff. But first it's like, I, I just ran out of the, of the studio, AKA my home, home yeah. office to hit the bathroom really quick. And when I got in there, man, like, you could have told me my hair looked like Edward Scissorhands. Like that's, I thought that's your thing. I that was my thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's the look you're going for. <laughs> the Ed, hey, it would have fit in last night with uh, the tool concert, yeah. man. Like that would have been pretty, you know, the, the homeless hipster look, the man. homeless hipster look, man. Yeah. It's like, I think the part of this cough that I have going on, was like the guy that was sitting next to me or standing next to me. Like, don't smoked, make out with him. Well, he smoked more weed in a two-hour time frame than should be humanly possible. I mean, I know you can't overdose. On yeah. That guy was pushing it. Like, he was trying. You know? It was just... It was nonstop. He, he was waiting years for this moment. He was, man. In fact, he told me he had just learned of Tool in the past, like, four months and felt like the past 30 years of his musical experience was wasted. <laughs> well, was like, maybe he was just wasted. Yeah, I was like, man, I think your, your wastedness is yeah. catching up on the amount of years you might have wasted on listening to yeah. shitty music. Like... Cause he was, uh, he was getting on it, but I digress. We're going to talk about, uh, about bow season here. So let's start with, let's start with the grieving process. Let's start with the ugly first, oh, you know, man. we'll go, we'll go through that and kind of lay out what we did wrong. Do you want to go first or do you want no, me to? I'll, to I'll go let first? you go. First. Okay. So you soften them up. Cause <laughs> just, you soften them up and I'll just drop the hammer. Yeah. Greg's going to put you in an early yeah. grave. <laughs> <laughs> mine's going to be like, yes, things didn't go so well. Greg's going to be like, and there was a car accident yeah. and everybody died. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I talked about this a little bit on, on this show. And if you listen to any of the, you know, previous podcasts that folks had me on, uh, as a, as a guest, you know, I talked a little bit about this it, it, just in terms of my process. And, and part of this is stuff that I've picked up from you. And I'm always really upfront about, you know, I take stuff from all my friends that, that are, that are awesome bow hunters. Um, whether it's you, whether it's Chad, whether it's guys that I meet just through the podcast in general, like an Eddie Clayton, like whoever it is, right. I just try to pick up tidbits, um, tidbits, tidbits along the way. And, um, you know, and I used to probably not really have a process per se for like the off season. Like it would, it, like I would do a lot of work, but looking back on it, it probably wasn't as effective. Cause I didn't have like a framework that I was, that I was building, you know what I mean? That was, some, yeah. And that was something I kind of picked up from you just scouting and spending mm -hmm. time together and stuff like that. And part of that was truthfully kind of, you know, looking back very candidly on the season and kind of, and I always start with like the negative first, right? Like that's usually where I start. And, um, and there's, and there's the two types, I, at least I feel like there's those types that are like the super obvious, like if you missed a shot or you flanked a deer because you rushed something or like, there's some moments that as a bow hunter, it's painstakingly obvious that you made a mistake, you know? And then there's like some of those ones that are less obvious, which are 
you know, this spot should be hot. Everything's telling me it should be right right now, but I'm not seeing anything. So in hindsight, was my access wrong? Like, did they know I was there before I got there? You know, and some of that, you just have to learn trial by fire until you get enough, enough Intel on a spot. And so I'll start with like the first kind of version of it, which was, you know, the super obvious stuff, which, you know, really there were two kind of painstaking moments for me where it was obvious that I messed up. One of them was not so much me messing up as it was being green in this type of, uh, of hunting when I was hunting on the ground in Kansas, but I'll start with the one in Pennsylvania. You know, you, you guys have heard me talk about community scrapes and stuff like that. And I like to hunt those. And f- for me, you know, and I think Greg's somewhat similar, not often do I get the same deer year over year that I can follow and mm-hmm. go, Hey, he did this last year. He's likely going to do this this year, you know? And one of the things I've picked up from you, you and I've talked a lot about this a lot. And I've also talked a lot about it with Chad is that I, I kind of hunt now more so dates. Yes. Dates associated with specific locations. Correct. You know, um, it took me like, you used to tell me about this, like really when we first started <laughs> hanging out, however long that was yeah. like six years ago yeah. now or whatever. And it did, it never made sense to me probably until like the past three years. Cause I started seeing it, you yeah. know, um, because I know you love early October and I used to hate it. Now it's actually, you've kind of converted me yeah. to where it's actually one of my favorite times, if not my favorite time to hunt, at least in state. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, a particular spot that I have, um, you know, there was, well, there was two that I really kind of had mapped out. One was a new spot this year. One was a historically a historical spot that I've hunted for. This was the second year. So I had a year worth of Intel and I knew this spot in particular it was going to turn on at a certain time. Cause the, you know, like you and I have talked about in the past, there's a date in October within a time frame. you're going to probably get that first mature deer. If you have a really good community scrape that's outside of doe bedding somewhere, you're probably going to have that first mature buck walk in daylight for the first time that like 13th through like the 18th, 13th mm-hmm. through like the 16th kind of time frame. There's a couple day window. Mm-hmm. That's, it'll be the first time he'll make a mistake. And you may not see him for a little while again, but that'll be the first time a mature deer will kind of, you know, make a mistake and show himself happened last year, anticipated it happening, this, happening this year. Wasn't like a crazy weather change, um, but it was a little bit overcast and like, it was just like spitting a little bit of rain and stuff like that. And I got into this spot uh, really slick and um, sure enough, had one of the shooters come through at like three o'clock in the afternoon. Um, now, the kick in the balls where it kind of turns bad here, (laughs) why it's ugly is, you know, I played everything correctly. I had the day, right. (laughs) I had the conditions, right. I had, you know, where he was going to show up correctly. Two things that I didn't recognize was what direction he might come from. And I usually try to always run my cameras on video mode, Mm -hmm. you know, in specific areas that are close to like, scrapes or something like that, where I really want to see directionally where they're coming and going, you know, picture will tell you so much, but I don't know how many times, you know, something steps in front of a camera, doesn't trigger right away in their turn or whatever, you know? Um, so he came from my West when I thought he was going to come from my East. So that was the first thing of like, just not sure. Right. The other part was he kind of caught me off guard because of that. So I caught him at like 40 to 30 yards and he was coming and there were two deer in this spot. Both were eight points. Um, one was a more mature deer looked like he was probably four and a half. I sent you that picture. Mm -hmm. It was a nighttime picture, but I knew that was a mature deer that was in the area. So I was playing that the date game for that guy. And then there was a younger one who was already daylight. And prior to that, it was probably a two and a half year old, maybe three and a half year old 
had the same exact frame, but just shorter tines. And he was behind some brush behind a tree and I couldn't see which one it was. And he came up and he was raking a tree and I still couldn't see which one it was in hindsight. I should have drew mm-hmm. right then mm-hmm. and there while he was rubbing and, and distracting. He could have been break dance up in a tree. He would have never, oh, he would have, yeah, no clue what was happening. Um, but I wasn't sure what deer it was. So I made the rookie mistake of not drawing. And then by the time he came out past that last tree and I could see, it's like, Oh shit, that's the one I wanted. That's the shooter. Well, at that point he was at 20 yards and coming and there's not anything between he and I any longer. And I got stuck in the tree with him kind of staring in my direction. You know, I think he saw some movement. I don't think he saw me necessarily, but I certainly couldn't get drawn Mm -hmm. because he was staring right at me. And then he just turned and walked and walked off. That was the ugly and probably like the low point of my season because, you know, all that work for nothing, all that work for nothing. And that was the second encounter within 15 to 18 yards that I had within, I think it was three or four days that I couldn't get an arrow off Mm -hmm. three days Mm -hmm. prior to that. Now this one was kind of, I was in a new area and set up and this deer came, um, I wasn't sure where they were going to come from. Cause it was the first time I was hunting. It was that spot. We scouted with that uh, primary scrape yeah. and that uh, signpost rub um, came in. He got behind brush and he just wasn't going to come any further. Yeah. Like, you know, and so I didn't have a shot opportunity. So that's like, okay, lesson learned. Truthfully, your words were ringing in my ear as I was sitting there, because if I would have picked any one of the trees that you were like, I would hunt this one, I would hunt this one, or I would hunt this one. I got in there that day, <laughs> right at like breaking lights. Like I, I walked in with like a little bit of light. Cause it was, I did, I did map it over the summer and, and hiked it a couple mm-hmm. times, like once in the dark. So I knew how to get in there and miss brush and yeah. miss making noise, but it was still the first one in. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go in as I'm getting just a little bit of light, you know, cause most of the way, as you know, kind of getting in there, if you're following that one trail, yeah. you can get in kind of quick until yeah. you have to hit the, the thick stuff, you know? So I did that and got in with plenty of time and I'm looking around. I'm like, Greg would hunt this tree. Man, I'm now. I'm gonna go down here and hunt this tree. And so it's like, sure enough, mate. If I would have hunted any one of the trees that you picked out, like I would have stuck it. Like I, it would have been like a seven yard shot, yeah. you know. Um, and so that was the other ugly was that you overthought you know, it. I overthought it in the plan that we had made, you know, together. Actually, when we were scouting it, and you were like, because I asked you specifically, because yeah. one thing that you do that you do a lot of things correctly, but one thing that you're really, really good at is you can immediately kind of identify what tree you need to be yeah. in. That's still something I sometimes go, man, which tree is it? Is it yeah. this one? Is it this one? Is it this one? And you went in in like 30 seconds. You were like, it's this one, it's this one, or it's this one, yeah. you know? And I walked in that day and I remembered, I was like, it's one of these three. And I was like, now nah, I'm going to walk 10 yards further down and I'm going to get in that tree. <laughs> and literally that 10 yards was the difference yeah. between that deer living and Especially that deer dying. Especially early season, like 10 yards in October, it's like a football field. Yeah. You know, and I have a lot of thick stuff. There's a lot of listeners probably do hunt the thick stuff if, if 10 yards if you're three yards off sometimes mm-hmm. you're you're not even in not even in the game like you're still sitting in the parking lot yeah you know it's super critical to have your tree know exactly where that deer is possibly coming from and where your shot opportunity is going to be because right. you get one shot like one opportunity and see you later yeah that, that was it you know what i mean and he wasn't spooky yeah. or you know like he he was going to turn up like this ridge and uh I, I grunted him back and then he came in and made a scrape, got a little fired up. And then, you know, this is like October, I think it was like 13th. I want to say is what it was. Um, I think it was the 13th. Um, 
you know, so it wasn't like he wasn't full in like fired up. I'm going to yeah. come in and like fight somebody mode. He was more of like, eh, I'm going to come in throw yeah. down a little bit of sign here and I'm going to, you know, work back to, you know, where I was going, which I went and scouted that and kind of found a rub line leading up to the direction mm-hmm. he was headed. So kind of know roughly where he was going. Um, but those were like, like my, my two ugly kind of instances in, in Pennsylvania. And the one ugly was that when I made a plan, you know, with you and I, I didn't follow through on the plan. It doesn't mean you should do that all the time, but to your point, it's, you know, in October, it's like, man, that, that tree setup is, it, I mean, tree setups are always critical, but when you have foliage on the trees and visibility is as low as it is, and you're hunting really, really thick areas, cause that's plot spot. Yeah. there is super like high stem count. It's, yeah. There's sticker bushes along with just browse all kinds of, it's a, it's a mix of everything. Yeah. And so, you're right. It's like, I mean, I could see him, you know, mm-hmm. and then, but I might as well have been in like another state, yep. you know what I mean? Cause there was no, there was no chance of anything <laughs> happening. Um, so those were the two in, in, in Pennsylvania. Um, and then in the oh, one, there's the, more. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's more <laughs> dude. I'm the, it, like the past couple of years, it's, it, it seems like I'm the, like I've gotten <laughs> no problem having encounters. Like I am in the right spots. Like, the past, especially the You're past closers, I just am not closing it. Oh, yeah. You know, it's, it's being 10 yards in the wrong tree, yeah. you know, or not drawing my bow quick enough, you know, and that not drawing my, that was hundred percent my mistake. Like, gonna, that should have been it. That's going to burn you up for a long time. Oh yeah. Cause that was, I still have moments. I look back and say, like, hmm. yep. 15 years later, 20 years later, that's still sizzling in your side. It's like, yeah. I'm never going to live that one down. No, because he was a toad. Like, he was, I mean, I don't want to make him out to be more than he was, but he was. It wasn't 190 in Kansas here or anything. Right, so, right, know, like, right. But he was, you know, certainly over Pope and Young, and not by, like, a wide right. margin, but, like, you know, 30-class buck, you a, know? A, a Pope in heavily pressured area is is two, two and a half minimum, you know? Uh, yeah. So you're looking at two or three-year-old deer, maybe a four-year-old deer. Yeah. There's... And like I said, that that's the key because there's not many yeah. five year old deers running around yeah. north eastern PA. <laughs> well, he was probably the only uh four year old deer that I could say for sure was four year old four years old, just by by body type. Yeah. You know, his antlers weren't gonna score in like the fifties or yeah. anything like that. Like like I said, he was probably like hundred and thirty inch buck. That's just or the food. Yeah. You know, you got uh, genetics when it take you so far, you know, if yeah. you don't have the food, you have great genetics with no food. You're not going to get that big. <laughs> right. Right. And so, you know, good looking, good looking deer. Um, yeah, but that one will burn me up because it only because like I had gotten enough data about that spot and I was like, I mean, that was literally the only time I hunted that spot. Both of those spots were the only two times, only times well, I hunted. Done. Yeah. I was in once encounter, yep. couldn't get a shot off, was in once encounter, should have killed him. And those deer knew they, they would come back through there at nighttime. They knew where that you would buck be. never showed back up. Well, there I never you. got him on another camera. There you go. You know, that was it. Like he was like, I don't know what happened there, but I don't, he didn't smell me for sure. You know, he saw some movement. And that's I, all he needs to see. He's been around the block. Like that's a human in a tree. Peace out. I'm out. <laughs> he didn't blow. He literally bound maybe 10 yards, you know, maybe, maybe 15 and just so you, stopped. And like, you looked. pretty much put him in his, Gun season boat spot. Oh, yeah. That moment right there, he was like, "Oh, time to go security cover." Yep, I'm out of here. Yep. Never to be seen again. You know, and literally, I never saw him on on camera, which is odd because I've seen deer there disappear, like a big one I mm-hmm. had there the year before, 
came in, did the same thing, daylighted. I missed him by a day, two different mm-hmm. times, because he daylighted on like the 15th, and I want to say like the 18th or whatever. And I hunted like the 16th and I hunted like the 19th or whatever, and just missed him by a day both times. Um, but that deer then ended up coming back. I saw him like the beginning of November or ended uh, October, beginning mm-hmm. of November. He came back around like when rut kind of yep. kicked in. This guy was like, peace out. I ain't ever coming back. So there I was at. And then the Kansas one was hunting from the ground. I had, you know, we had one mishap where we had a, a big deer, Chad and I, that I had, you know, at close range, you know, 20 yards. And I told this story before. Uh, I just couldn't see it. So it wasn't like I did anything there other than. I got turned around in between these cedars. He could see the deer. I thought he was coming from my left shoulder. So I turned left, but he ended up kind of coming around my right. And I, I could hear him when I could hear him it was to my left. And then he must've hit some, like some of that swamp grass yeah. that was there and like out of like the leaves and stuff yeah. like that. Cause I couldn't hear him any longer. And by the time I knew that he was on my other side, like he was already gone. Mm-hmm. But the very, like the next to last day, I had a really good buck on the ground at 15 yards that I snort wheezed in, did everything right. You know, except I needed a little bit of help from the wind. Um, and, uh, no help for you, no help for me. (laughs) Um, and I wasn't in the right spot, but I couldn't, I wouldn't have known that I went in with a little bit of light so I could see this Crick bottom and then kind of saw where I wanted to get to. And by the time I could get ready to move, I was literally getting up to move and I saw the tines come through the timber. And by that point I was stuck where I was at, had my decoy out. I was in a ghillie jacket in the middle, in the middle of CRP. So I was naked, you know, and it was just going to be a matter of whether or not I got lucky or not. You know, um, he never saw me. He just, my thermals were dropping down over this little lip and he went down there to scent check. And I was supposed to have a little bit of like a, I don't remember what it was. I guess that's just called a North wind at about seven miles per hour, which I thought I would have gotten any of that North. It would have pushed my scent just enough to the North of him where he would have slipped out and been able to get, I would have been able to get like the two to three yep. steps I would have needed to get the shot. But as it stood, I was dropping milkweed watching yep. it. And it was, he was coming behind this piece of brush. My milkweed, this was the end of like where the brush was at. And my milkweed was floating like right past it, you know? And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. I was like, this is going to get screwed again, you know? Um, but that was, you know, one of those things where I just don't have enough experience setting up on the ground yet, you know, to where. Uh, yeah. With the thermals in the ground, it's, you're going to fail more than you're going to succeed. <laughs> so, yeah. Especially at a place that's open like that, mm-hmm. you know? Wind and I mean, I struggle with it in the swamp. You know, thermals this year, they, they beat me up pretty bad. Yeah. That's a, oh. yeah, that was, you know, I don't, I mean, that was ugly only because like it was, you drove 30 hours. I drove 30 hours yeah. and I was literally at full draw and needed two more steps and I was going to fill my Kansas tag on, you, you know, should have jumped up, did a back somersault through your bow and shot him. <laughs> If I could do any yeah. of those things, it would be awesome in, in itself, you know? Um, but I think the reason for me that one was ugly was, you know, and it's not necessarily because of how far I drew drove or whatever, because anytime you do that stuff, it's like, that's always a possible outcome. But it was more that, uh, like, I probably would have felt better if like that day went, I didn't have a single encounter and I would have left going like, ah, eh, saw a couple of really good deer got within bow range of one of them, but just didn't see it in time. Like, eh, you know, that's hunting. My buddy cut a booner. My buddy did kill a booner. Yeah. Driving home alone with nothing cold <laughs> with nada. <laughs> but that one I think was, you know, part of the ugly because it was just like a, a stark reminder that the ground game in those places is just, is so hard 
that it gets better the more you do it. You know, yeah. got, if you hunt the ground a lot, you get really good at it. You become a really good hunter. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've run into some guys that I used to hunt with back in the day. They, they hunt long bows mm-hmm. on the ground and every two or three years they'll kill, I mean, an absolute toad mm-hmm. in, in Jersey, you know, from the ground. And it's like, and he goes, same thing. He goes, I see him. Just don't kill him. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, uh, The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. You know, some of the stuff I did right on that one, and we'll talk about what we did right, but I'll just kind of, you know, the part that I felt good about that and maybe why it doesn't burn me up quite as bad is because I got drawn. And to me, that was the part that I was probably the most worried about. I was like, I can, I know how to play the wind and I know it's going to be tricky on the ground. You know, it's like, but I still have to play the wind when I, I can cheat it when I'm in a tree to a degree. You can cheat it a little bit on the ground. You can't. And I get that, but I still know how to play the wind. I can check it and and try to play it correctly. The part that I was probably more worried about was when I get one in range, like when do I draw, you know what I mean? Like how soon do I draw? How late do I draw? Like that to, for me was the part that really had me nervous. I was like, cause I don't want to get into a situation where I'm having encounters and I'm all, and everything's good, but I keep blowing them because I'm getting caught drawing. Well, that's you, a lot of, I mean, the white tar drilling guys, you know, some of the guys shoot recurve longbows mm-hmm. guys. I know that do it. They sh- purposely shoot a recurve or a longbow. Because you can snap shoot. Yep. Boom. You can you can just well, compound. You got to be a little more disciplined. Yeah. If you get used to shooting, you know, recurve or longbow, really tilt it on your side. Like you can increase your shot percentage yeah. or or chances yeah. sometimes. Yeah. So those were kind of my uh, my ugly my ugliest moments, I guess, of this year, and uh, it in at least two of the instances cost me cost me field tags. So. That's my grieving. I now feel like I'm prepared to move yeah. on to the next um, phase. <laughs> I feel like I got my chi in alignment yeah. now. So now let's move on to Greg's. You know, mine was like, hey, the car's skidding side <laughs> to side. You know, hopefully there's some anti-skid yeah. down that we catch. Greg's going to just give you the full-on car crash. Yeah. Kill the whole family. Yeah, this season, as some listeners might know, I, I decided to hunt closer to my house than usually. No salt marsh, mm-hmm. no boats, no canoes, just big woods. 20 minutes from my house mm-hmm. and um yeah it didn't really go as planned uh next look at the time gotta go uh, <laughs> but uh i did go to delaware uh me and my buddy todd went down there and we scouted there a few times in the summer by car you know and located a couple of nice bucks two two groups of bucks and one was probably like 109 inch or a 130 inch nine pointer and the other one that was in the bunch was this giant massive six pointer wouldn't score for crap but just you know you have, so, a, you have a thing for six points yeah six like soda can bases big mm-hmm. big body like he dwarfed a nine pointer so he was the guy and first day like nothing then we had like a damn near hurricane come in like washed out a whole day and then i got on him it took me like four days to get on him like and just I had them at 40 yards, just too thick. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I finally got my buddy Tal was like, I can't believe we're still in there. I was like, I'm gonna just tightening slowly tightening the noose. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I've been long gone. I'm like, they're in here. I know it. I can feel it. And the last day it was like, hey, here they are. And there they go, forty yards. So I was like, Ugh. so what um, was what was it that was telling you to stay in there? Because the early season, bucks are going to beans. The beans are going to turn brown, you know, at some point in time. There's a few oaks dropping, but not many. So their main food source was beans and okay. corn. So they're going down there to eat. So mm-hmm. I knew they weren't going to completely just alter their, their plan. And what made me stay was I actually found the shed from the nine point of the year prior walking out one morning. Okay. I was like, all right. So he wintered here. Like, this is his this is his area. He He's spent not like, a lot of time of his yeah, year here. Yeah. There's soybeans, you know. I think I was 150 yards away from the soybeans. I found that shed. And, well, it's always been soybeans down there. So I'm like, all right, well, he's dropping shed antlers there. He's living here. Like, this is his spot. So I was like, I'm not leaving until I kill him. Right. And I did see him. Just didn't work out. And then I started hunting the big woods back home. And it's just super thick. Mm-hmm. And I planned on, like, mid-October to, to really uh, hunt that, like, really put a lot of effort into that. And, and like I said, it's just people. Mm-hmm. I mean, I got jacked up twice by people. So I'm hunting an area that's blown out. I I don't know it's blown out until I put two or three sits into it. So I pretty much wasted a good, you know, half dozen sits mm-hmm. realizing this is not going to work. Because right. <laughs> it's like, where are all the deer? Completely vanished because, mm-hmm. you know, somebody decided they're going to butcher the woods with a chainsaw and throw out 200 pounds of corn. Right. Uh, so oh, man, I can't imagine even dealing with like the, um, like the baiting stuff because the the pressure's tough enough. Yeah, in it, PA. Cha- it changes deer movement. I mean, instantaneous because the does go, oh, we're over here. We're at change change the whole dynamics of of everything. Hmm. And then I'll I went to PA opener, um, up to Johnny's place and almost got eaten by a bear in the morning. Yep. He <laughs> caught my ground scent and decided he was going to come at my tree 100 miles an hour, chomping, snapping, drooling. And I'm hanging from, hanging from the saddle. I was like, oh, this is how I die. This is yeah, great. Yeah, I'm already 12 feet <laughs> off the ground. I was like, this is where it ends. So you know, I didn't have a gun. Like, I didn't, I, I didn't bring anything. So I was like, right. no bear spray, no nothing. So I was like, hey, let's just drive a broadhead on his head or something. Maybe we'll run away. But he was pissed, man. He did I remember not. you telling me about that when you were tech. Uh, Dude, I was shaking. Like, I don't get scared like that a lot but i was like i've been bluff charged by bears fishing and stuff like that and it's mm-hmm. like you're on you can actually run and do something when you're strapped to a saddle like this is it this is all you're you got like, like you're just like a human tether ball <laughs> yeah, up there. basically <laughs> so and he stuck around for a while i'm like that's creepy right and then that's crazy though because i mean usually you know it, it's he was a big bear too it's one thing like if you're out west and you're happens with a grizzly or whatever that's usually when you hear mm-hmm. about it right it is a grizzly bluff charging somebody yeah. or getting frisky yeah. or whatever the case is you don't hear it very often no. about about black bears and when you told me that i was really kind of surprised yeah. i mean i hunt an area that i've been scouting i hunted mm-hmm. just a handful of times this year but a high density black bear oh, there's a shit pile yeah. of them up there <laughs> you know what i mean like maybe more bears than deer yeah type of type of thing and not small ones yeah you know um which yeah, you know, when you told me that, I was like, man, I can't yeah. believe that. It's crazy. I don't know that I've ever heard. I don't know. If I, I like personally I'll, don't know. I was shaking so bad. I was afraid, afraid to pull my phone out because he was like coming around the tree, going back, like leaving, coming back. 
I was shaking so bad. I was like, I'm going to drop my phone. You know, and then I was like, he's going to eat my phone. So I literally just sat there and was like, just you know, in panic mode, pretty much. It was like, and then you get that calm feeling. I was like, well, I guess this is, this is how it's going to happen. Yep. I was like, if I die, at least I'm in the woods. Yep. Right. <laughs> Doing what I love, getting eaten by bears. Great. Good times. <laughs> Yeah, because you know that's what they say after the bear eats you. Yeah. <laughs> it's like like it's some kind of consolation yeah. prize. Like at least he died doing what he loves. Yeah, it's get like, eaten alive. That's what I love. Yeah, yeah he got, at least he died in the woods doing what he loved. It's like nah, I'd rather I'd rather happen like while I'm eating Cheetos in a recliner. Yeah, like be be more pleasant. And then that night, I, I ran like once I got down because I scouted out with Johnny in the spring all kinds of rubs. I pretty much went in there basically blind, you know. Mm-hmm. Because when you're scouting in February versus October 1st, it's completely different. And it was really thick. So rubs everywhere, a uh, bunch of beds. So I pretty much went back there in that same spot, but pushed in a little bit further, closer to his clear cut, and had a deer come up out of his bed. It was like hunting the reeds. You know, I heard him get up. And I was like, he's in there somewhere. Because mm-hmm. all the rubs were telling me something's in there. And I watched this, this buck get up at, you know, like 80 yards out and come out of clear cut, like look right, look left. And I mean, yeah, maybe 120 inch, you mm-hmm. know, 130 inch, you know, nice deer, like big, big body, like, you know, I would have shot it. Right. Yeah. You know, no hesitation for me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's like, he comes out in this, I guess it'd be a, a cart road where they, I guess where they logged it. And he just stood there and he's like looking around. I'm like, just, if he can't, if he would have made a right, he would have came right to me. I mean, straight down to me. Of course he didn't make a right. He stood there and just went straight through another section of clear cut <laughs> like a five-year-old like a four or five-year-old section of clear cut where it's like all briars like he didn't want to be in the open whatsoever right he just stayed and i could just hear him until dark and then i had deer actually as i was climbing down like blow you know right in front of me so it might have been him coming down you know the, the thermals were not in his favor to make a right mm-hmm. so maybe that was him coming down you know to where all those rubs were who knows right that's what i tell myself but right Make make yourself feel yeah. better, and that was pretty much the highlight of my October. Um, right. Just got my ass beat in the big woods. I seen deer, and it's crazy too, man. Because you had leading into the season, this is just me personally, yeah. like you and I, you and I talking because yeah. we we talk a lot during the hunting season. I would say we probably talk more leading up to the season mm-hmm. as we're finalizing plans, finalizing yeah. scouting, like the last bits of Intel we get, we ping each other a lot with like, Hey, this is what I saw. Hey, here's a couple of pictures of some deer. Then we start talking about the sign we had seen yeah. in the off seat or in the post season and, and how it's related and, and really start to formulate plan and going back to last, you know, off season, all the stuff that you were finding out. Dude. You know, I, well, if, if there, if I could have put money on, like I've, I, I felt, I felt it, dude. Like I don't feel hunting seasons like that very often usually when i do it it, it goes down mm-hmm. but i underestimated i seen bucks mm-hmm. just not the bucks that were laying down the sign and now i know why after hunting in there the, you hunt the edges these bucks from the cameras and my own sightings um they do not come out of the laurels or the the thickest nastiest part at all mm-hmm. and once every couple days or once a week they might like break i had a, a camera on the scrape that was like right in the point of a, a swamp every now and again like one would come at the camera usually they would come in pretty much out of the dark laurels and stay in it 
just never expose themselves. And that's just the pressure. Right. That's what it is. There's just, and I didn't had no humans on most of my cameras. I had a few cameras stolen, but where I, all the big bucks I was, no humans. These hmm. bucks, the little guys walk the edge, the does walk the edge, then bucks are like, nope, I am not exposing myself whatsoever. And all my spots were pretty much on the edge of dark, you know, cover pretty much. I need to be in the dark cover. Right. And once I kind of figured that out, it was, you know, towards that miracle time of, of Halloween. I went up to fuck uh, Johnny's and got rained on for three days. <laughs> right. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, that was awful. Uh, well, then you got sick. Yeah. Your whole family caught yeah. Corona and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Wife got sick. That was my vacation. of, And I went out once in the rain. And I seen more bucks. I think I seen seven bucks that day in like a five-hour stint just walking Swamp Edge. And I had probably like a hundred inch seven pointer at five yards. Looking back now, I probably should have shot him right. just because everything, but it's not what I was looking for. Right. And I was, well, and that you, the inventory you had in the area, it yeah. makes sense to hold out because you had, like, you knew what was in yeah. there. You saw the sign. Yeah. You shared some trail camera pictures yeah. with me that verified that what was making that sign was not, were not small deer, yeah. you know? And it's like looking back now, there's just, not say I knew better. I even those deer, very few mistakes were made, mm-hmm. and the mistakes that they made from the the camera intel, the cameras I pulled were late season, which was odd. We had that cold front there in uh, that snow in January. I was at the ATA, and this big wide eight. <laughs> of course, he was coming through mm-hmm. when I was at ATA, and it's like, mm, thanks, thanks, buddy, and he came through. Before the snow, because it was really cold, and I never seen him after snow. So I'm assuming he got smoked because it was muzzleloader season. So I'm assuming okay. he got, you know, because we had a lot of snow, which is a rarity for us, and deer stick out by us in the snow. You know, mm-hmm. you can see them because you're not used to seeing, you know, the snow. So everything like pops, you know, yeah, extremely well for hunters, yeah, in South Jersey with the snow. So I think he got, I think he got smoked, which is good, good for a hunter, yeah. Um, but that was one day I was really chasing. I had him all over. He was a roamer, man. Yeah. <laughs> I had him was like, oh, he's over here. I, All right. And he had a big set of tracks. I, I do believe it was him because it was the biggest body of the air I got on camera too. So I do believe it was him. And it's just, you know, it's just a cat and mouse game. And they were just 10 steps ahead of me. Right. I could not, I just could not do anything right. And well, I, I wouldn't say, I, 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 mean, I don't want to put words in yeah. your mouth, but like following, along with you this season and just kind of chopping it up, you know, whenever we would have some free time or you'd call me on your way home from work or whatever the case would be. And we would just catch up. I wouldn't say that you couldn't do anything right. I feel like you were just doing the right things just a a day late. Well, that's, you know, it's like, I was going to get to that because right. a lot of the spots I had, I hunted and I pulled all these cameras and it was like, I was there the day before next day. This dough bedding blew up. And I'm like, great, scrape. I was there the day after, you know, and vice versa. So I was in the right area. It's at the wrong time. And that's just hunting to begin with. But this year going forward, like, I kind of, you know, to not get ahead of myself here, I guess I'll backtrack. I should have left the big woods and hunted somewhere else. Hmm. And that's one thing. That's one thing I regret. I put all my eggs in that basket. I'm like, I'm doing it. I'm not anywhere else until I shoot a big deer. 
I got so frustrated and so angry and, and trying so hard. I was pretty much just killing myself before I went out. Right. And, you know, the realization, you know, it was like late November. Uh, I was like, I could get out of here. So I went to the salt marsh the first morning. <laughs> 190 inch nine pointer with a doe at 20, you know, 20 yards facing right at me. She was, she was shootable. He was not. And a farmer decided he's driving his tractor in the woods to make a brush pile for rabbits because they're working with the fishing game mm-hmm. to increase rabbit habitat. You know, sorry guys. <laughs> and, uh, that was pretty much, yeah, know, that was that <laughs> like, I just like said, that I had so many more encounters than I usually have. Mm-hmm. And I, that should have been a, a I should have known right there. Like Delaware, boom, on big deer, <laughs> PA, boom, on big deer. And then, I should have known right there because usually if I see a big deer, I kill it. If not, that's pretty much how my season's going to go. I don't get right. numerous opportunities at a lot of deer, even like multi states. I'll hunt five states. I won't see a buck at all. But if I can't Might kill see them, one, yeah. it, it'll be it'll it gets an arrow. Yeah, type so of thing. it was just a, a rough season, but I, I kept at it. You know, even in the January to the end. I mean, I, I hunted hard and a little smarter in mm-hmm. January, but still just. Yeah. You know, like that prime example, <clears throat> the last day of the season, I'm out and walk into all these because we got snow. So I was like, oh, they're feeding here. A lone set of buck tracks, you know, coming through. I'm like, all right. So I want to just set up in between these two lone set and the does are out there. So I'm set up. I don't see nothing. I get down in the dark. I literally, I'm 15 yards from where, I, you know, the, the deer trail is. I get down on the deer trail. There's deer shit and tracks all in my boots that I just walked in on. So they were literally 15 yards away from me. And it was all the snow and, and like. I remember, I think la- we talked. Right yeah, laurels and, and cedars. So you can't, your vis- visibility is just trash. Mm-hmm. But there was a lone set of buck tracks, a tow dragger, pretty much with this doe group. And I'm like, hmm, sure, why not? Yeah. <laughs> why not? And <laughs> I pulled the camera and there was, I think that was uh, the one camera I sent. You had a picture the other day, the long yeah. brow. Yeah, yeah. That was he was in there in February. Another one was like that was probably him. That's the there's big two deer. big deer in there, man, or yeah. at least two. Yeah. Well, I mean, if, as far as February go, like late season, right? Because right. that was three days after I think the season ended. That buck was on camera, and that camera was literally within fifty yards from where I was hunting. So I'm like, right, cool. Yeah, I mean, day late and a dollar short, man. It was, and I think my, my biggest takeaway from all this is. You get frustrated in spot, leave. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm, you know I me, mean? I hunt all, all kinds of different spots. Yeah. I literally, I can't do that. I need separation. Mm-hmm. You know, I need to take a break. Yeah. And then when I did, like when I went to Salt Marsh, I took a break. It was like a recharge. Boom. Went to Salt Marsh, you know, hunted three or four times, seen deer almost every time. It was like that little, like, <sighs> I know what I'm doing. Yes. I was like, <laughs> I, I, I know how to hunt deer. Sometimes you need that. Yeah. You know, there's, there's definitely times where, you know, Especially if you get kind of, uh, I don't want to say fixated, but you know, guys that hunt areas that have a lot, have a lot of pressure, right. And regardless of whether it's Jersey, Pennsylvania, New York, you know, I mean, even people want to think that Ohio doesn't have pressure, but Ohio, you know, anymore is, is, is pretty well pressured too. Even Western PA is getting pressured. Western PA. Yeah. It's getting hammered now with people. I, I mean, Wisconsin tags. I've seen Wisconsin mm-hmm. tags. 
when I was there. In Steve Shirk needs to stop posting all those pictures of deer. <laughs> yeah. I love Steve. Love yeah. you, Steve. <laughs> um, but yeah, a Wisconsin tag in Pennsylvania. It's like, wow, that's never thought I would see that. Right. Yeah, but they had like, to drive through Ohio yeah. to get here. You yeah. know what I mean? That, that's the thing. You're, they're you're leaving not, a great buck state, driving through another great buck state to get the PA. And, and we've talked like, about that before yeah. on the previous, or on a couple yeah. podcasts ago that when, when you were on about at some point, you know, if uh, the caliber of deer keeps uh, getting noticed. Yeah, Bo, stop killing big deer too. <laughs> or just stop posting about yeah. it. Like whoever, like whoever it is, just stop. Just shoot the 130s like I do. You know what I mean? going to drive 10 hours for 130. Right. You know? um, no, what, what I was going to say is, um, you know, as I was kind of following along, you know, with you this year and we were, you know, chatting at different, at different points of the season, you know, it happens to, you know, I think it happens to a lot of hunters where, you know, you sometimes just need to remember something to remind you that you, that you know what you're doing, yeah. you know, especially as I was, what I was starting to point out in States where you have pressure and it doesn't matter what, if it's Texas, right. like Texas areas and Texas get pressure too. It's not just, I, I, I hate whenever, you know, people, uh, like just say for, from, for example, from Pennsylvania, want to own, like we have the most pressure, you know, it's like, man, a that's, lot of places have the worst flex in the world. Right. I know. Worst flex. We in got the, the worst pressure. Yeah. yeah. Wait, no, no, <laughs> but it, they want to use it as like a, uh, excuse an excuse or just like, you know, it's, it's maybe even not an excuse, but it's, it's that hard. It's ego, here, you know? And I'm like, man, arrogance. There's, there's a lot of places that have pressure. Yeah. You know, I was in Kansas and there was pressure there. It wasn't all bow hunters. It was pheasant hunters. Yep. And pheasant hunting out there is like first day of rifle season in Pennsylvania. Yeah. You know, it's like they are out in full force. They are driving every cut of CRP, every yeah. everything, you know. Um, so it's so it's different. So with with that caveat, whenever you someone is experiencing a hunting season where they're running into a, a lot of pressure or just in general, if you hunt areas that have typically have a lot of pressure. You're usually forced, you know, you know depending on how long you're in your hunting journey, so to speak, if you're, if you're new and you just want to go out and have some fun, like awesome. But a lot of guys like for you or for me or a lot of our friends, like we're trying to find the better deer for the air. Doesn't mean I'm trying to kill 190 inch deer. Chad. It just, <laughs> Chad, it just means I'm trying to find areas that I can see the best deer that that particular area has to has to has available mm -hmm. right and so if that's 125 inch deer then that's 125 mm -hmm. inch deer you know so it is, it is what it is but when you do that you're usually having to put yourself in places where you're probably not going to see a lot of deer mm -hmm. you're going to see the one or two potentially of the ones that you want to see and you're probably going to have a lot of sits where you don't see anything and i know this happens yeah. to you I know it happens to me a lot. Like well, I, I don't see, I don't see deer every sit, you know, it's not, I should, I should back up and say the majority of my sits, I don't see, anything. I don't see deer, you know, but you know, and we'll, we can get to talk to the good and we'll talk about that in a second, like things that maybe were, were better, but my hunts are becoming more strategic and I kind of go in knowing that Yeah, I'm either going to see that one of these two deer or I'm probably not going to see anything. What? But what you need to do sometimes is what you're talking about. Like I definitely did that this year where I was like, well, the wind isn't really right for some of my, the spots where I really yeah. want to be. The weather's not really great. 
and honestly, it's like, man, I'm struggling to get out on time because I had yeah. something I need to do, and this spot's yeah. kind of close. So I'm gonna go because I'm just gonna see some deer here, yeah. and maybe I'll, maybe I'll stick a doe, yeah. or maybe it'll be out of range, but I'll at least see deer. Yeah, I definitely do that for with certain spots just to go. I know what I'm doing. Yeah, I found deer, and then whenever I go back to a spot later, I can walk in going, I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm looking for. Now, I don't know that the one I want to see is going to show up, but I don't know if any are going to show up, but I now have the confidence to know that like it's not me necessarily. Because well, um, um, I'm primarily a bed hunter. and the, That's the even big, harder. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm when you're hunting a specific bed, you know, be it morning, evening, like you know you're going to see deer, one deer or, or, or something. You go in knowing it's you're going to fail. But like the big woods this year was, I already found two beds you know that were like all right these buck beds and come to find out both those beds were just beat this year they Mm -hmm. had some activity but not much so i was hunting in more of a generalized you know near bedding where they could be bedding not specific Mm -hmm. and i struggle with that because it's like i come in there like all right and i'm very specific and organized with my tree so it's like well if i sit here the wind's good for this. They could be better there, but, and I'd almost talk myself out of some spots. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, need, I need to know exactly what tree I'm going in, you know, where I'm going, what tree with wind and, and just go and sit. And that suits my, my mindset, you know, my, I guess habits better than kind of random aimless walking through the woods. Like, all right, but they bed in this patch of laurels. Well, this patch of laurel might be 150 yards. Well, they can come out anywhere. Right. That goes against, everything that I've built, I guess myself to be. So it's like, I struggled internally with that. Cause I get up and like, man, I don't know. I have to bed on the other side. I gotta get up. No, get this tree. No. And I fought myself. And then once I kind of let the guard down a little bit, you know, it became a little bit easier, but you know, I, I missed those windows early October, mid October. And like I said, Halloween was, a, was a bust for me. So I missed those little key moments that are, time frames that are key for me mm-hmm. they were i mean might as well just shred them in a shred, paper shredder like, right right i just wasted a season <clears throat> you know? it, it sounds like it sounds like the ugly for you was everything <laughs> was everything <laughs> it sounds like the ugly was like the stuff you were kind of talking about at the beginning where you were sh- like a day late and a yeah. dollar shorter in all these spots there are all these these deer you knew they were there you were you were on them you were in the right places it was just you underestimated you know how much the pressure was going to push them back yeah. into you know the the deep cover and stuff yeah. like that. It sounds like the bad is everything. <laughs> well, it, it all is bad. Everything, but it sounds like if you took it one step better from ugly yeah. to like just bad, yeah. is that you had some indecisiveness about where you wanted to be and why you should be yeah. in those spots and when you should yeah. and when you should be and there. I, and I think the the lesson I learned from all this is like the big woods there's little time slots. And for me, I can hunt those time slots over a scrape you know, or a rub line. But going forward, like I'm going to hunt the salt marsh this year because mm-hmm. I'm hunting a specific bed, you know, in early October, you know, mid September. It might not, it just from my, I think my mental state, I need to get away from the big woods. I'm going to stick to the big woods. Those little clips of windows, mm-hmm. like, all right, all the Intel scrapes were hot from the 27th to the November 2nd. All right, I'll focus some energy if I'm around in here. In this and, specific five-day window. Yeah, in there. Right. And then October 6th, scrapes pop off all over that place. I'm like, all right, there's a small window in there, which 
is a rare rarity for me because that's early for scrapes. Yeah. But that's when some of the big boys started showing, you know, coming up out and like they were actually day walking in early October yeah. over two scrapes. I'm like, all right, there's a small little window there and then October 20th. And then that's pretty much it. So that brings me to, to my, my bad. Cause you actually hit on what my kind of bad, <laughs> I said my ugly, which was like, I screwed the pooch once and not getting some shots off that I should have. The bad for me was <laughs> you, it, it kills me to say this because we, we've talked about this a couple of different times and you've, you've, you've given me advice or we've talked about it where you were like, man, you should really kind of think about doing this, about being more aggressive at home. And it came back to bite me again this year because there was one particular deer. I sent you the video of him with the kind of interest. Uh, what I'll say is um, uh, he has a unique, unique antler kind of structure. Yes. Right. Um, and I had him uh, early, like, my season opens like the 19th of September in this, in this area. And I had him right around then I had him daylight and I knew it. And I had him daylight like the first week of October and I knew it. And I waited because I knew like, generally speaking, like the 13th to the 16th was like ultimately what I was trying to target. Right. And he, he ghosted like right, right after that. He was, I think I sent you videos of him three days in a row. Like the, I want to say it was like the 10th, 11th, 12th or something like that. Or like, you know, ninth, 10th, 11th. It was right there that like, right the beginning of that second week of October, he was daylight three mornings in a row at this community scrape. And when I pulled the camera, I, I, I knew that. And I was like, ah, man, I'm going to wait a couple of days. I'm going to wait. And I waited and he disappeared off that scrape in general. Like I never got another picture of him there all the way through pre-rut. rut. When I say pre-rut, like the last week of October, nothing in November, like nothing. Now I did end up scouting once I lost him and I found him on two other primary scrapes. I ended up finding that were you know, maybe a half mile away, you know, east and to the west of that particular scrape that he was, that I found him on the first time. Um, but, you know, and I, and I missed him by like a day each time. Um, but, you know, my bad was really when I had that intel and I knew that he was killable. And this goes back to, again, you're hunting high pressure. If you know there's a deer that can be killed, like you need to go kill him, you know, and not wait for him to figure Three something out. Because, well, because someone else might go in there. Right. I mean, cause there's stands in there. I'm yep. not the only person. Now, most of the stands that I see, you know, not like I'm hunting on top of somebody's yep. setup, but like in that general area, I have all the stands where other people have marked mm. and some of it's coming off of private. And, yep. I, and I know that, you know, um, and a lot of it's gun, you know, and I can tell just by like the setups, you know, and stuff like that. Some of them, I don't even think are being used because of how old they are, you know? Um, but chances of someone going in there and walking around or, or, just a hiker or just kids. a hike or whatever yeah. is someone kids playing guns or someone squirrel hunting yeah. or whatever, you know, cause I definitely had people on different cameras in this area, like walking through squirrel hunting and stuff yeah. like that during that time of year. Um, whenever I knew he was there in daylighting, it's like, I should have like immediately just like pushed all the chips to the middle and been yeah. like, yep, we're going to go try to kill him. And if it doesn't happen, then it's it doesn't old, happen. Yeah, and then I'll try to plan I'll, B. Yeah. I'll try to locate him in another area or whatever. And that was, um, that was my, was my bad. 
was just I had one that was super killable that I just waited too long to try to make to try to make a move. Waiting for a perfect opportunity. I was waiting for a perfect, and I we ha, and you and I talked about it because I I was like I walked in, I mapped out some access yeah. real quick, so I wanted to do a quick scout to see if I could find any of his sign being laid down anywhere. Like if because he's got unique antler characteristics to where it's like if he was making rubs, I was gonna know that it was him, you know. And so I did a quick scout, and, it was, and I didn't spend a lot of time in there. I basically just went in with some good wind, and I mapped my access because you and I talked yeah. about it because we thought we kind of knew yeah. where he might be bedded. And I mapped my access in and then, and, and just, and then got out of there, you know, and didn't see any other, I found a, another small scrape yeah. or so, but nothing to note, you know, where I was and was where I needed to be based on like all the Intel. Um, and just was a day late and a dollar short, picked him up later, yeah. but just again, was a day late and a dollar short on, on yeah. all those setups. And that's, if you have cell cams and they're, they're going off, you know, two or three days, you know, if he if he daylighted two days in a row, uh, there's a good chance, high probability he'll be there the next day. A single daylight mm-hmm. picture, eh, but two days in a row, uh, I'm calling him sick. You know, yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm gonna hunt that spot. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that should have been what I what I did. So now, kind of getting ahead of myself here, um, but because it's because it's related, I did go in and scout that piece, uh, this this off season so far. And for the sole purpose of trying to find his sheds and gridded a large part of it, uh, yesterday and didn't, didn't find any sheds, but I did find a, what I, something I overlooked previously, which was a, a signpost. It wasn't like I overlooked it. I just had never seen it before. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I found a signpost rub, you know, it's one of those ones. It's like, isn't shredded, but it's clean enough. You can see it gets hit year yep. over year. It's not like they really jam on yep. it. They're commu- they're rubbing their foreheads on it. You well, know? I talked to Chad. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages. Things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, Log on, and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. And Jake at the show about signpost rubs, and I had this spot, I was in the big woods, signpost rubs galore, and the cameras I had on those things, those big bucks didn't hit them at all. It was all year and a half old deer. Wow. And does. (laughs) I had more does lick and rub their face like a cat would on (laughs) on these rubs. I had uh, cameras on two rubs, and that you see, I catch a glimpse of a, you know, a big deer just paralleling it or just coming through it. <laughs> I'm like, and this is like the third time, third or fourth time I've had been running cameras on rubs, signpost rubs. Wow. They, younger deer would tear them up. I mean, I have one deer just go, I mean, he was making the rub tall. I mean, he was going all the way, almost like standing on his like tippy toes, basically like a neck fully stretched and coming all the way down. And <laughs> the moment he rubbed that tree, within like three hours, three or four hours, those were on that rub smelling it. Like hmm. coming in, smell like you know, just like almost like a community, you know, scrape like a licking branch, hmm. but it's like a rub. That's crazy, man. Because like the conventional wisdom is that a signpost rub is typically what people will say yeah. is where multiple mature bucks yeah. core ranges overlap, yeah. right? And so it's kind of like, and it may or may not be at the very outstretch of yeah. like their 
their range, but it's like, it's an intersection of these two deers houses yes. or homes essentially. And that just kind of flies in the face, flies in the face yep. of that. I had that in the salt marsh too, where beginning of October, these big hammer young deer, I mean, just beautiful deer tore that rub up. And then late October, I had this big wide buck come through like five days, you know, five times, never even smelled it, never even, didn't even go nowhere near it, just walked mm-hmm. right by it. But every doe, every time a buck, you know, a, l- a little butt bucks rub it, you know, look, butt bucks, they rub their heads all the time. <laughs> and does, if a buck rubs that within, you know, half a day, does are at that rub smelling. It's almost like, like a dinner bell in a way. Like, hmm. you know, it's just weird. You well, know, I think rubs are just completely, maybe it's just a pressure or I think they're just really misunderstood. Yeah. I, communication I, tool. I agree. You know, it's one of those things that, well, this brings me to my next point. So I found that, right. Um, I ended up going to this other area close to a community scraper. I did have that big deer on camera. Um, and, uh, I thought he might've shed over there because there was a lot of bucks that had been in that area. There's a lot of, uh, uh, red oak acorns over yeah. there too. So when it got super cold and we got snow that, I mean, that camera, there were just deer would pile in yeah. and there'd be bucks and they would come in one day with antlers yeah. the next day they would come back. They wouldn't have any, you know, so I was kind of waiting until I started seeing some of them drop before I walked in there. And most of them at this point had dropped at least the ones that were on that camera. So I made a walk through to try to find uh, to see if I could pick up sheds and specifically to see if I could find yeah. that guy's sheds. Didn't find them. Went into this one but little, did you find any sheds? I found zero sheds, yeah. which is not uncommon. Yeah. For me. <laughs> we'll just be honest here. Yeah. High five. Yeah. Not finding <laughs> sheds. No sheds were harmed in this yeah. scout. So the, uh, but on my way, I was getting ready to go on my way out and there was a spot that I had hunted late last year. So when I missed that big deer on that primary scrape by a day, I started in one spot in a monsoon. And while I was sitting there, I was like, eh, I was like, I don't feel like I'm in the right spot. So I got down and moved closer to that, where that scrape was at. Ended up seeing like a, a small buck come through. Um, but the big guy never showed up. And the reality was, is he showed up. Uh, he was there the very next day, like the next evening he was there. Um, but I'll kind of walk that area. Cause I knew there was a buck bed that was there. I found that like two years ago. So I walked into Wait, that. You found the bed. I did find a bed. It actually had rubs in it and wow. stuff like that. This is like two years ago. Wow. So I went in to check that bed and it had gotten used, but it wasn't like yeah. beat up. There weren't like any like super fresh, like rubs. I mean, there were rubs in there yeah. that were, but they were, they were small. So it wasn't like someone was like calling that home necessarily. Yeah. Um, I felt like it was probably rut bedding cause it's so close to that, uh, community scrape. Probably a, a buck just goes in there and lays down, yeah. waits for a hot dough to walk by and then gets up and picks her off, you know? Um, so I was walking this, this one area and it's close to some private and, uh, really kind of thick area and I was getting ready to walk out, uh, to get, you know, to kind of head back toward the truck. And I just, out of the corner of my eye, I saw a rub or what I thought was a rub. I was like, is that a rub? And I started looking closer. I was like, no shit. I was like, that is a rub. <laughs> so I went in to check it out, you know, cause there's not a lot of rubs in this general area. Like mm-hmm. I don't find, I find some very small, like, yes, they are rubs because an, a deer would have rubbed their antlers on it, but it's nothing that you would stop and go, Hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah. There's a rub. You know, it's like some small ass saplings. Once in a while, you'd get one on a tree that's, you know, the size of like a baseball bat handle or whatever, but nothing that makes you stop and take notice necessarily. This one made me stop for a second and it was on a bigger tree. It was kind of low, but it was in like a bunch of brush and just Mm -hmm. a bunch of gnarliness. So not going to like rake the full kind of length of it or whatever. And this is when, (laughs) when I find rubs now, it's like, I actually stop and I study them. And I try to figure out like, 
what direction was he going? You know, which direction was he traveling? Why would he be traveling in that direction? You know, and then I might go one way or the other and see if I can pick up another one somewhere and see if it's learning. I am learning. Mm -hmm. So that uh, the one that I found off the signpost, there was another one not too far away, kind of headed in the same direction. And then about another 75 yards, I found another one that was a two way. So what that told me was, is that they're traveling this back and forth. Mm-hmm. Like this is a, he's not just headed one way and making a loop. This is an area that he's going to come both ways. And I, w- I would guess that it'd be wind dependent. Yes. Like whatever way he had the wind was going to be the direction he was going to travel. So anyway, I get over to where I find that I find this set of rubs and it's, it's like 20 yards back in the cover. which is why I didn't see it right away. And you would never see it in the fall in this mm-hmm. area. Like and the funny thing was I, I hunted maybe 40 yards from this in the fall and never saw any of those rubs. And so I walked in there to look at the first one and I was like, Oh shit, there's another one. Oh shit. There's another. And there wasn't anything that was like huge, but again, this particular deer that I was trying to kill on this particular piece had really interesting, like unique antler characteristics to where it's like, if he rubs a tree and it's him, I would, I would recognize it. We'll just put it that way. Right. He's going to have a specific way that things are going to look whenever he does that. And I saw one tree and I sent you a picture of it. And I was like, all right, I think that that's him, you know, and then, and this I picked up from you again. So it's like, I didn't just look at the rug. So a lot of times people, and this is what I used yeah. to do. I would just see like where the main rub is and yeah. it's like, or it's shredded or whatever. And he'd get all jacked yeah. about. But I was like, that's the least interesting part to me. I immediately started looking up the tree. I'm like, where are the tick marks? Because yeah. the, because the rub was actually kind of low on the tree. Yeah. Right. And so we always say, if you want to find a big deer, find not necessarily a big round rub, yeah find one that has height on it. And that tells you if how tall that deer is or how tall the tines are. Right. But the rub wasn't that high. And he didn't, again, that deer didn't have a lot of clearance in her either. Cause it's pretty thick. But whenever I started looking for tick marks up the tree, so when he's rubbing his brow tines into that tree, really getting it and getting aggressive, he's going to inevitably leave tick marks from yeah. his taller tines. If he has any, right. Well, those tick marks were hitting like chest high on me. Yeah. And they weren't super obvious. Like you, most people probably would overlook them, you know, but I was like, Oh shit. I was like, there's only one deer I have a picture of in this area. That's (laughs) going to make tick marks that high. And then I started looking on the backside of the tree to see if he was catching the tree behind him. And he was, you know, and I was like, Oh shit. I think I found his hidey hole. I was like, and I think it's in this spot. And so this particular area, I have more scout to do because I've actually never scouted this section. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know if he's alive. It's the only other thing. I wouldn't be surprised if he is because this particular deer didn't, I didn't have on camera until June, got once in June, once in July, he disappeared, came back in the middle of September, stayed to the end of uh, October and then never saw him again. And it wasn't like I saw him. I didn't see him at all last year, you know? And so it wouldn't be crazy for him to just have spent the fall there and then just disappeared. You know what I mean? Johnny always says, if deer makes it to four or five years old, there's a good chance he's going to die of old age. Mm-hmm. And I, I firmly believe that, you know, right. especially in the area you're, you're talking about, there's, right. there's plenty of little hide hiding holes, yeah. you know, that he can hole up in and, and never be seen by yeah. a hunter. You yeah. Know? And that's why he's that big, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I was pretty, I was pretty stoked when I found that. And it was also one of those things where I started seeing like things come together, like things that you and I have talked about. And I've, and this is like what I love about having friends that are awesome deer hunters that I get to spend time with in the woods. Chad. <laughs> Chad. <laughs> I'm going to have to make sure he listens to this because we keep na- dropping his name. Everything's just Chad. Everything's just Chad. Um, <laughs> is that, you know, that's one of those things I overlooked for forever. And, you know, and 
and I'm pretty sure you've said it to me before when we've scouted a bit. Last year was the first time that I really paid attention to it. And oh, so it's like my wife. I'd say something a hundred times. Right. Just, well, it was the first time I probably like really recognized it on my own. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Where it's like, I knew what I was looking for now, you know? Um, and so that's always cool for me is like things that I take from buddies of mine where they, where they teach me something that I'm able to go out and mm-hmm. like use it. And, and it's just, the, and it's just those little things, you know what I mean? That like make the, that make the difference, you know, those tick marks details, two years, Devils ago, in the details. two years ago, I would have completely walked out. I would have saw the main part of the rub and been like, yes. Well, we've seen that last year. Mm-hmm. Or walk through those saplings. So I was like, yeah. oh, bucking through. You're like, what do you mean? I was like, oh, there's a time mark. Well, and I started looking for yeah. that. I started walking, walking his rub line. I started yeah. looking for tick marks and yeah. stuff like that where he like, where, and then I found like, now I didn't find a bed in there. I could have very well been standing in one. You well know, you know, but I got actually got on the ground. I was looking for hair yeah. and stuff like that. This place does hold just a little bit of moisture. So I don't yeah. know that it would be conducive for him to bed yeah. there a lot necessarily. Yeah. Um, but I did find like his exit trail, how he's getting out of there. And so I feel like if he's not bedded in that spot, he's bedded close, he's bedded close to that, yeah. you know, and that's how he's getting kind of in and out. Um, and so I was pretty stoked. I was pretty stoked about that. I should have hung a camera there to be quite honest with you. I just, I didn't, but I'll be getting back in there and kind of making my way through the rest of the rest of that particular piece, because I feel like, I feel like in that area, and I don't think we didn't, we've never scouted this part together. I'd love to take you there sometime, but I feel like the way that area sets up that whatever good deer is going to be in that area is going to use a lot of the same stuff mm-hmm. is what I kind of feel. And so I feel like even if that deer is dead, I feel like something will take its place. Mature buck habitat doesn't really change. Right. You know, or rarely change, I should say. Right. Say never, but it rarely changes. Because they're looking for similar stuff. Yeah. They're looking for safety, security. Yeah. And then food after that. Right, right. So that was kind of like, I talked a little bit about scouting and stuff like that there as well. And, and my bad. So for you, what was the good part of your season? Cricket, cricket. Uh, the good was the Delaware thing that was pretty much and and the PA thing setting up and scouting your way in and and seeing bucks Mm -hmm. you know that's and the the learning aspect of it you know not to get you know the humbling part of it is not achieving something you want is motivation to not necessarily work you know harder just work smarter Mm -hmm. you know um i don't need to scout more out you know scout many more hours or put so much more extra time in scouting i just need to be more disciplined Mm -hmm. in my my approach like i said we we were talking earlier you know off off camera you know uh, off camera yeah yeah. we got we got a camera crew here yeah we're big time uh but being disciplined with getting every tree set up Mm -hmm. you know i kind of dropped the ball recently these last couple of years of family, kids. Yeah, we talked about that. A million, yeah. million different excuses. It's unacceptable. You know, when I had, when I was killing nice deer every year, it seems so long ago <laughs> because it was, <laughs> uh, I would literally, you know, most people know I notebook. I would get stand in a tree and I always have my stand on my back. I scout a lot of times would stand on my back or I would always make it a habit to go back and mm-hmm. set up tree shooting lanes, whatever it might be. All right, that tree don't work. This tree works. And have my buddy Tony, he'd walk the trail. I'm like, no, that's not going to be in this tree. And we'd, we'd swap. Mm-hmm. Now it's just me. So I'm always going to just have my gear with me. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm scouting. I'm scouting with um, 
with intent and purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, that's such a good idea. With you know, you like you said, we were talking about this before we started recording. Where walking into just simple things, yep. knowing do I need to be twelve feet high? Do I need to be twenty feet high in this yep. tree? You know, and being able to know that when you walk in, so you know exactly what your well, setup is going to be. Like in the mountains, like I, I started doing that up up in North Jersey, where my little notepad would go up, you know, because you're hunting laurels, you know, I'm, I'm near laurel. So if you're 15 feet high, like you're good. If you're 18, you're, you're beat. Mm-hmm. If you're 13, you're beat. But I would go up, I'd put eye shine mm-hmm. <laughs> up that high. And I'd be like, all right, orange eye shine. That's where the top of the step goes or the bottom of the stand goes. And I'd write it down. And I would literally be climbing up, get to the base of the tree. And be like, I pull out my notebook, my little pad. All right, it's the tree. All right, I need to be up there and refresh it, put the stand this way. So everything's, you already did the homework, you know, mm-hmm. because we've all done that going in the dark. Which way do I face? Is it this way? Is it this way? And how many times do you face the wrong direction? Oh, you're like, man. shit. Well, the good thing with the saddle, you can kind of swing around. Yeah, you can But it's still yourself. kind of awkward sometimes, you know, if you use a platform, you're like, wow, I'm kind of hanging off the platform today. This is uncomfortable for any length of time. Yeah. You know? So I'm getting back to that. I'm going to, no, I don't say scout less, just I'm going to just go into an area, you know, the big woods. I got a few spots, mm-hmm. you know, I'm on a only be six foot well, off the ground. I mean, I think there's scout, you know, when people hear someone say scout less, they're like, Oh, they're not putting in enough time. It's, it's, it's what you were talking about with, uh, doing it with intent yeah. is the important part. Cause you know, I usually every year I try to set like a mileage goal yeah. for myself and it's more so just ego. to for, to force myself to go out. Like, Hey, ego. I haven't, haven't I got hit ego. I don't care if it's yeah. more miles than someone else, you know, but it's more so just to like profit. What is, I'm going to walk a thousand miles scouting. Like, right. Dude, you're insane. It, it's more just to, if I have like a number in mind, I'll hold myself accountable to it and it'll make me go out, you know, repeatedly. Right. But, you know, admittedly the last two times I've been out and I've only got a chance to go out twice this year so far, you know, I only did like five and a half miles each time, which is you, which isn't, terrible it's probably about an average for me because i don't look when it's not hunting season i ain't getting up at six o'clock and hitting the woods like i get up i have some coffee i get to it whenever i get when i get to the woods you know and then i stay until i feel like i've accomplished what i needed to accomplish and if i start getting tired and i start missing stuff i leave because at that point it's diminishing returns like i'm not going to get anything good out of it you know what i mean and but the one thing that I have, it's qual- it's quality over quantity. So the one thing I started doing, and I picked this up from Chad. I'm going to drop Chad's name again. <laughs> Chad. Um, he had a chance to hunt with Dan a couple times yeah. this year. Um, he went out to Wisconsin, I think like in October, and spent some time with Enfault. And then he went out in late season and like hunted with Four him. degrees. <laughs> four degrees, yeah. But then Dan actually went with Chad to Ohio, where I've hunted, where Chad and I hunt together. Mm. And kind of they hunted those sessions kind of together because you know dan was picking chad's brain a little bit yeah. and, and vice versa and chad really wanted to see like how does dan's in a new piece he's yeah. never been to before what's he do yeah you know what i mean like it's it, it was that type of thing you know and he picked chad's brain because chad has a ton of intel from yeah. that particular because he's hunted it a bunch um and then he and then they scouted some together and then they would split up you know and then come back and like talk about the intel they found stuff like that and the one big thing I picked up from him, he was like, one, which this is just experience. He's like, I don't, he would always be able to figure out like where the deer were going to be, like where the best betting opportunity was. He's like, and everything he would do would be related to that. Essentially, as soon as he would find sign, he would then stop and be like, where's the betting opportunities? Yes. And then he would 
and then that would kind of set course yeah. for everything else. He's like, which he's like, isn't crazy, but it's like his ability to kind of just know where they're going to bed, like by looking at map yeah. and stuff like that. He was like, is uncanny, you know, he's like, but the biggest thing wasn't that necessarily. He said, it's how slow he moves. He said that like when he walks through the woods, he's like, he's moving so slow. He's like, we, we were talking afterwards saying, you know, Dan Chad's like, got a stride on him too. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. He said, you know, he said they were talking afterwards and, 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 and Dan had mentioned like something like, yeah, you know, we covered a lot of ground today and Chad's like, Oh, how, what'd you do? You know, how much did you do today? Or what'd you guys cover? He's like, I think it was like two and a half miles or something like that. And, <laughs> Like in true Chad fashion, he probably was just like, that's all? Like, yeah. you know, cause that's how he would respond, right? Yeah. Like, that's just, you know him as well as I did. Yeah. It's like he just, he would just like, it blurred, yeah. it would blurt out. And Dan was like, why? How much do you cover? And he's like, well, you know, sometimes he's like, if Clint and I are down here, he's like, in a day, we're like, well, he's like, it's not uncommon for us to cover like eight, nine miles in a day. You're missing so much. Dan's like, holy shit, like yeah. eight, nine miles. <laughs> like, did you see anything? Yeah. You know, like, and so that's the one thing that I picked up. And I wasn't even there. Yeah. I was just talking to Chad because after they did that, I wanted to talk to him. Be like, hey, what does he do differently that, than we don't do? Because we're all looking for the yep. same stuff. Like, what? how does he do it differently? And that was the biggest thing. Is he said he he he's very deliberate when he walks through. And when he comes across sign, he fully examines it and what it means in relation to everything else that's around him. Yeah. You know, and he's like, and he really takes his time. He doesn't cover a lot of ground. He was like, but he he'll know what the story yep. is because he's kind of ingested everything that was that was to offer in yeah. that in those particular and areas. And he's been hunting for a really long time, like at a high level. And I know a lot of guys that you know that operate at a high level, not like Dan's like high level, but older guys, they move slower because well, their body doesn't allow them to mm-hmm. move much faster, but they kill a big deer, you know, and it's just, I think years of experience that they, I don't need to cover 10 miles. Right. I'd rather cover a mile, a hundred percent than 10 miles, 10%. Right. That's all you need to do. And that's what I, and so yesterday when I was out, that was ringing in my head as I was scouting. Slow down. <laughs> Cause I was walking deliberately and I would stop and I would scan. Mm-hmm. I don't want to miss a rub. You know what I mean? And I would walk a little ways and then I would actually, Cause I was making grid kind of pass yeah. through an area cause, because I know there's a deer here that yeah. I want to try to kill. Right. And then I would turn around and glass back the other way to make sure I didn't miss any rubs in the mm-hmm. area when I grid and I walk and I drop down 30 yards that I don't miss any rubs yeah. going the opposite way or anything. You know what I mean? And so it was stuff like that. And I felt like yesterday when I walked out of there, like I didn't find a, a ton of sign necessarily. Yeah. Right. But what I found, I felt like was probably the most important yep. sign that I could have found and actually help. I understood yep. what was happening way better That's because a, of that. Like back to the Delaware thing that was Todd, like I said, he couldn't believe I was still hunting that area, but I was going up and, you know, that's a good thing about mapping software now, you know, mm-hmm. the, all your tracks. You know, yeah. so, you, so you know exactly where you're going. Oh, so, dude, as soon as I hit the woods anymore, yep. Spartan Forge yep. track button on, and I just let it follow me yep. around. And I was doing that in Delaware. I'd go up wherever I went. I would not go any further. You know, if I'm not going to hunt, I'm not going any further. You know, mm-hmm. and it's like, go back in the evening, I'm going to push a little bit harder. All right, where's, where did I go? All right, and just go up to it. Okay, I go up another 100 yards. Go up and go up this little, I call it a draw. It wasn't a draw. It's just like a seam in the woods. Right. And I would just walk that edge. It's like, all right, nothing, nothing. All right, deer sign, stop. You know, and I was 
and they're super early looking for feed, looking for tracks and just it's thick early season. So even then I'll still, you know, super slow, super cautious, still hunt my way on, almost like still hunting your way into your spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's just key. And I think as the season progresses, people get lazier. And, you know, I did that with the, with the snow, like it was really crusty. And I mean, it was a, a workout to get where I wanted to go. And the deer were already on their feet by the time I got where I wanted to be. So, but I had them at 30, 40 yards, like on the ground, but you know, Mm-hmm. They, our little cross pass like they were already ahead of me and there was no way i could catch up to them because the right. snow is too crusty right but this crunchy snow i had to walk so, it's so slow. slow it was like but i seen deer on the ground so yeah. it's like all right i need to do this more often you know right just slow imagine if it's not crunchy yeah. right yeah because they're going to be doing similar stuff yeah. mm-hmm. right so yeah that to me was uh, putting that in action yesterday was uh well that's i was, remember Reading an archer talk years ago, the guy, you know, because back when the I hunt six miles deep kind of thing really started taking off, mm-hmm. there was uh, an older guy. He's like, I can't do six miles. I'm old. He goes, I don't hunt 5,000 acre pieces. You know, I, I, I stick to my 200 acres, but I know that 200 acres, like the back of my hand, mm-hmm. I don't need to know 500 acres. I know this 200 acres. That's all I need to know. Yeah. And it's like, well, Johnny does that too. And that's kind of in whenever I was breaking down that big woods piece last year, um, in the first scout I had up there solo, I, I think I talked to you afterwards and I was like, I feel like I got nothing accomplished, yeah. you know? And cause I was taking too wide of a view and I, Johnny's words were ringing in my head where he's like, I'll take this like two mile by two mile or one mile by yeah. one mile chunk. And I just break that down. Yeah. And I learned that. And then once I learned that, I then go find another, like yeah. a, cover the piece adjacent yeah, spe- to it especially like a, a big wood setting when you got 10 15 50 000 acres you know a mile of a triangle or square of woods that's a lot of woods oh, i don't yeah. think people realize like that's a whole lot of woods yeah it's, it's a lot of territory to cover yeah. you know it's one thing whenever you're doing it in kansas and there's only one draw on their crp yeah it's really hunts really <laughs> small you know what i mean but when you do that in a piece of timber like a monotonous type terrain yeah that's just ridges and draws and bottoms and valley you know it it's it's a lot to cover because you're not only covering flat like you're covering the vertical too yep. you know and it's it's a lot more area That's, than yeah, you even, think like with the big woods i did a lot of bouncing around you know and big woods i mean for me it's south jersey's it's five five ten thousand acres that's mm-hmm. a big section of woods in new yeah. jersey you know that's that's a big chunk of woods and it's flat no terrain like no bump up like it is you can get lost and get get confused. So, you know, I'm take away from this year. I'm going to just pick certain areas, and that's where I'm going to scout. Like the couple cameras, I, I ran them through cameras in the laurels, and like two of them came back like banger spots. I'm like, sweet. Mm-hmm. Never thought they were coming through there, but it's like, all right, they like coming through here. All right. So I'm going to go back and break that whole section down because it's probably a 200 by 300 yard section of laurel. Mm-hmm. Don't know why they're in there, but I know I'm going to. I'm going to know that piece of lore like the back of my hands. Yeah. You know? And that's the spot that I was at yesterday. That's kind of what I want to do with mm-hmm. this next section that I'm not spending time in. I'm like, I need to just break this piece yeah. down because it's like, this is the last puzzle piece of this section. Mm-hmm. If I know what's going on here, I'll kind of understand this whole, this one whole section of this piece, yeah. you know, and have a pretty good idea of if I'm seeing deer in one spot, where the other places are that they might be spending time yeah. or betting or, or, or whatever the case is. So, so what uh, what was your so what was your good this year? 
Anything I, good? Wow. Well, uh, <laughs> just that, gonna put it out there. Yeah. Now I, I, you know, after that, the salt marsh when I had that buck, like it kind of lit a fire in my butt, like it got me mm-hmm. refocused, and I hunted smart and hard, you know, pretty much till the end. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't get frustrated without even the lack of seeing deer, even does. Like it was tough to even get does in range this year. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd see feet, right? You know, but there again, they're twenty yards. I'm like. I can see feet and a little bit of hide, but I did have bucks come in late season, um, right at the archers run of daylight. Mm-hmm. And I've had bucks all around me three or four times during winter bow, which is completely new to me. Cause I don't have a lot of success in winter bow right. at, at all. Buck sightings, I should say. Right. And where I put my cameras, you know, I pulled them amazing. A lot of bucks, you know? So I'm like, all right, I made progress in that front because as, you know, I don't have much luck in January with bucks. When yeah. a lot of people see big bucks, I don't see shit. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, and, and it's rarely I see them, you know, right. probably because of the, the baiting and stuff like yeah. that. A lot of places I hunt are super pressured, and we have a long muzzleloader season, doe mm-hmm. days. So there's a lot of gunning going on in January. Yeah. So, you know, the food's pretty much all over the place. Mm-hmm. So deer don't need to get up and really travel 500 yards to eat or whatever. Like, they can just get up 100 yards to you know, wait till dark and hit a bait pile. Right. Right. So knowing that I had deer in range, you know, late season, you know, in the snow, you know, in the cold, you know, is, is biggest takeaway. Right. I think for me, my good was, this was one of the, well, I'll put it, I'll say it this way. This was the first year where I felt like every hunt I hunted strategically and I felt like I had an opportunity that I was in the right spot and that I had an opportunity and was confident that the deer I want to kill, there's a possibility he's going yeah. to be here. Like, I just felt like this year, cause I had so many sits where, and you're it, in what about the third year hunting these, some of these pieces around here. Uh, yeah, the one was, uh, no, they were all the second year, second year, second year. Things start to really, you know, yeah, start they, to dial in. Yeah, well, because I've jumped around in a couple different places, like for a couple years, trying to find the like yeah. spots, you know. And these ones were, I'd run cameras on them, but like I really only hunted them two years. Well, the one where I had the encounter where, that you and I scouted last year together, that was the first mm-hmm. first year on it. Um, but the two other spots were year number two hunting hunting those. Um, and this year it was, it just felt like when I was going in, I was going in at the right time and I was having an encounter, mm-hmm. you know, and seeing, seeing a good buck or whatever. And I wasn't wasting a lot of hunts. I shouldn't say wasting a lot of hunts, but like I was, I, I think in years past, I get so excited for bow season yes. that I would start burning it too early, you know, where this year, if you don't have them, if you're not, if you don't have visuals you're burning out early season, you can, burn out your spots before right. they get a chance Well, to I even good. burn myself out. You know what I mean? I'm just like going and hunting yeah, too gim- many days too gim- often. Gimpy. And, yeah, I know, gimpy. You know, and this year I took a little bit more of a measured approach. Like I knew if I were just patient and hunt some spots that I haven't hunted before earlier in the season to kind of qualify, win yeah. map, like use yeah. those as opportunities to hunt, but opportunities to learn the places that I knew and had intel about don't set foot in them until I think it's the right time to be there to kill, you know? And so that's what I started doing was that. And it paid off because I learned some about some new places. And then the spots that I had a little bit of historical information about, I was having encounters on first sits in those spots, you know? And that to me was 
something, something new for me. And I didn't, and I didn't kill myself. Like I didn't hunt a ton of days in Pennsylvania, but I had really good hunts the days that I, that I did hunt. Lucky. Right. <laughs> um, but it's some stuff, you know, again, like I give you a lot of credit, man. Cause like a lot of stuff I pick up from you and a lot of it was, and that's why we're not killing people. <laughs> Chad. Yeah. Um, the, uh, no, it's, um, you know, and he, and he's part, you know, him as well, because, you know, I learn a lot about, you know, camera data and long mm-hmm. longitudinal long-term data and stuff like that. And so it's really kind of focusing on those specific dates whenever it's yeah. going to be prime, you know, and it happens year over year. It's awesome. Like one buck showing up on a flyer a week before he really yeah. sh- should, like a lot of people might jump on that and be like, oh, I'm going to hunt. Yeah. But uh, when I see that, I'm like, man, that's an outlier. Like yeah. he is outside the window of that yeah. three day period. That's. Yep. You know, it's, I'm going to go in and screw this up. You're doing your average. He can't be, you know, the extremes can't be in your little formula. Like, nope, nope. Right. So the things that have changed for me that's different is I hunt as we going back to what we started when we started the conversation, hunting dates and spots versus deer, but knowing that those deer are in that area that I want to, that I want to try to kill, you know? And then the other part I never thought I'd say this is actually hunting mornings oh. in October. Why? Who kills deer mornings in October? Like that is strange people in, in the middle of October, like has now become that's blasphemy. I know it, it's, and it's crazy. Cause you used to tell me yeah. it all the time, but, but now I find, now I'm figuring out why there's a one. There haven't been pressured out the, I never should have told anybody never should have. And I, I, I hesitate to even say this part yeah. <laughs> because I don't want to, you know, but, uh, you know, nobody listens to this anyway. Um, Just number three in the country. Nobody listens to this. Um, the, uh, so mornings in October, I love, and you've loved them for a long yeah. time. And it took me a little while to understand why. Like, I knew, I knew that there was a method to your madness or that there was a reason why. But I'm like, I'm a, I need to see it for myself guy, right? And it, I finally had like the setups where I could see it. Not all spots are created yeah. equal. Not all spots yes. are going to work for that time frame. Exactly. You know what I mean? And so it's like, that's the one thing that you have to kind of learn. Like you can say, yeah, I want to hunt mornings in October. If you're hunting next to like a primary food source, like a field edge (laughs) morning in October, good chance you're going to seize nothing. Right. And so it's knowing like what the right setups are for that. So that was, that was kind of like the, the first part, the other part, you also avoid a lot of pressure. Right. And, and I picked this up from you. It's like, what's the coldest part of those October days? usually the mornings, yes. right? It's not the evenings. It's, it's, it's the mornings. That's when they're likely that's, you know, they got their big thick coat on, yep. you know, and so they are a little bit more comfortable moving, moving during that time. The other part that I picked up as well is, you know, looking at just collar deer data and, you know, a bill didn't necessarily from Spartan Forge didn't necessarily tell me this, but it made me think about it. And I remembered reading a study at one point. I don't know if it was in like QDMA magazine yeah. when they were called QDMA or whatever, but they did this chart on, deer movement through the week by weekday. Mm -hmm. And essentially, you know, Friday people hunt after work in the evening. A lot of times, right. It's like, woo, we're off on Friday, going to hit the woods or they leave early on Mm -hmm. Friday to go hunt and hit the woods Friday evening after work. So the, the natural deer, like daylight movement goes down starting Friday evening gets worse on Saturday. Cause what everyone's hunting Saturday, especially in Pennsylvania. Cause you can't hunt Sunday. Right. The states you can't hunt Sunday. People are hunting Sunday. It's crap then too. In Pennsylvania, you can't hunt Sunday, so they get a little reprieve of pressure. Monday, there's nobody in the woods. You start to see the deer movement go back up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Tuesday, the deer movement goes back up yet again because they've had two days of no people in the woods. 
Wednesday and Thursday are the best movement days for daylight movement in the month of October. And so for me, what I started doing was taking mornings off from work on Wednesdays and Thursdays and hunting those days in October because nobody is out. It's the least pressured month. It's during the October law when no one else wants to be there. Mature deer are going to make their move for the first time in daylight during that time frame. I get the coldest weather of the of that month in the in the mornings. And if I do it on Wednesday and Thursday, everyone's at work while I'm out while I'm out. And not so, drawing your not drawing your bow back on buck. Not, yeah, not drawing my bow back on a buck <laughs> at twenty yards during that time frame. But I was see I was, you know, in the chips more yeah. often than than I wasn't. And that to me was like the puzzle pieces all finally came together for me in that regard where it's like, I knew there was a reason why I should be doing it. I just couldn't figure out the spots and I couldn't figure out why. And then I finally was like, all right, I get it. The, the, the middle of the week thing was a big kind of even, thing even, for me. Yeah. Even Wednesday, Thursday after work, if you can, you know, get off early, if, it, the, if you get off at three, you could probably find places to hunt almost mm-hmm. any place where you live. Yeah, because there's enough daylight. You can get in the woods and set up, yeah. and that's key. Because e- even if you don't necessarily kill them, you can see what they're doing and save that knowledge, you know, and information for the weekend. You yeah. know, almost like you know observation sits. Yeah. You're in there learning. Yeah, what unpressured deer behaviors like? <laughs> yeah, and I would try to get out after work, like in evenings, but I would go to spots then again, knowing that that wasn't like the optimal time. And because I didn't know if the spot was like an evening spot, a morning, because that's the other thing people sometimes yeah. overlook is it, you know, especially when you're in October, the spots aren't all created equal in terms of movement. They're also not created equal in terms of like the time of day that they're going yes. to move, you know what I mean? And so it's like, is it an evening spot or a morning spot, you know? And I would start going out in the evenings after work and hunting spots that I've not, I've never hunted before. And I might only get like two hours, but yeah. I want to see like, do I get that last, like, 30 minutes of gray light movement yeah. in this area. Cause if I do, then I'm like, okay, it's an evening. Yeah. It's probably an evening spot yes. for October. If I don't, it doesn't mean it's not an evening spot, but it means it could possibly be a morning spot, yes. you know? And so I started kind of doing that to check the box on like, what time of day should I be hunting these? You know what I mean? And so you did a truth from the stand checklist. It pretty much, we should make one yes. of those. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be the first one to use it. <laughs> but the other part too, was I started journaling while I was yeah. in the tree this year. Like everything that I would see, I would I would write down yep. what the wind was, what direction the deer were coming from, what my access was, yeah, what that's the weather was. Great having you know, like I said, Spartan Forge all screenshotting all the predictions. Talk to me their- about how you're doing that, man, because that's one thing you mentioned it to me when we were talking on the phone yep. the one day. I just use their this- jur- journaling feature, yep. which is which is cool, yep. and I journal for the location, mm-hmm. you know, and I a lot of the data you know is already in the app itself, yes. but it helps for me to write it down because it's like. I'm, I'm kind of committing it to memory, but I'm also kind of visualizing yes. what it means, you know, but you were talking to me earlier this yep. year and you were like, man, I started screenshotting like days and doing something with it. And I was trying to explain it to somebody yep. and I couldn't remember it. Cause when you <laughs> said it to me, I was like, damn dude, that might be the smartest thing I've ever heard you say. <laughs> wow. You know, right. and, uh, it, it, but I couldn't remember yep. what it, exactly what it was no, to like, explain it. Cause the, it gives you the predictions for five, seven days, whatever yep. for the week. Yep. Now I'm at work. I'm not hunting. I have cameras out working. Oh, that's right. That's what it was. So I screenshot it. All right. And I have cameras and I actually, you know, transition areas, uh, you know, core areas like doe bedding areas. So I screenshot and I did that the whole month of October, November, um, kind of got off it during, you know, my business season at work, but then I pulled the cameras, you know, 
and pull the cards, swap cards, and look at it. I'm like, all right, heavy days on this day, pull cards. It's like, oh, all right. A lot of, you know, a lot of movement in what I thought was a transition area was a core area day. Mm-hmm. And on two, you know, a couple cameras, I'm like, maybe it's not a transition area. And I go back and start thinking and looking at a map. And so, you know, and it's like, all right, well, maybe they're just, maybe they're betting over here because of movement all, all morning, all day, basically. So I was like, right. all right, that is their bedroom. Cause I got, you know, 11, 11 a.m. to, you know, 2 p.m. I'm getting movement. Mm-hmm. I'm close to betting. They're mm-hmm. feeding, they're browsing, but in their core area. So I'm like, all right. That's not a transition. That's their core. So I found a few spots where I thought would be a great transition area, mm-hmm. the core area. Right. Every time, ta- you know, most time, more times than not on core area days, the cameras were blowing up that mm-hmm. I thought were transition areas. That's what it was. So I, I was could- basically like, you know, I made a mistake or not a mistake. I just didn't know. Like first time hunting, like you look at all the terrain, like this is a perfect transition. Bunch of trains kind of meeting features meeting. No, they're actually betting in there that's a betting area and it's like hmm. oh so i'm going in there pretty much blowing it out for an evening set. not because no, i think it's transition right, well because right there it's like that i was going to just say because it's not that you wouldn't have been able to figure that out just from the camera data yeah. necessarily like you would, over time you would figure out like hey over a full season like i'm yeah. seeing these deer way too often during non-move quote-unquote yeah. non-classic movement yeah. times of day right mm-hmm. where it's like oh noon one o'clock, two yeah. o'clock. It's like too many times, like one time anomaly, yeah. two times. If it's spread out, it's yeah. like, feels like an anomaly, but if it happens consistently over the season, then you're like, okay, that's a, that's a core, that's a core area, yeah. but you're able to expedite that because you can just kind of look at the map yeah. and then it makes you more than anything. It makes you go, I mean, that's a core area day. And I'm seeing daylight movement during this time frame That's supposed to be a core area day. Where's the betting opportunities around? Yes. Here? You know what I mean? And so now you're going like, this might not be a transition. Yes. I need to go back in and look for beds. Exactly. That's, for betting. That, I get that's on the, the goal list this year. And one thing I found out with, with cameras and core areas that this year with all the apps, and stuff, if I'm getting a lot of fawns in October mm-hmm. in the middle of the day, that's a doe bedding area. Mm. They're close. They don't drift very far from their moms. Right. You know, a couple hundred yards, maybe max a hundred yards, max, maybe. Right. You know, so I'm like, I get a lot of fawns in this one spot. I'm like, all right, you know, definitely not what I thought it was going to be. So Mm -hmm. like now next year, I was like, I know I'm going to have trees set up there for (laughs) come, you know, November 1st. Mm -hmm. I know I'm going to be posted up. It's a doe bedding area. They're, they're, they're close. Mm -hmm. They get a lot of movement midday. You know, even on non core area days, if you get a lot of fawns, they're, they're bedding close. Right. On a consistent basis. Now, how are you camp. keeping track of this? Are you just like screenshot? Are you putting in like an Excel file? Or and there's a screenshot like and I got scribble scrabble all over. I don't have anything fancy like you got here. My, my room's a mess. I'm a mess. <laughs> I have, I have like three different journal books. I got the smart forge saying, I like writing, but at the same time I write too much or I write mm-hmm. slop and I can't read it. I got right. pretty much half of October when I written down a journal. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the fuck I wrote. <laughs> There's a scratch on there. I'm like, what is that? I was like, like, I have the worst handwriting on the like, planet. It's like, you get like this, like, and I'm like, Annette, were you down on my, were you down there? Right. This is your note. It's like, yeah, it's I'm like, like a, I got a doctor's signature. Every line's just like a doctor's signature. I'm like, is that wind, but water? What? what? Yeah. I have, I have horrible handwriting. So I think I'm just trying to think about if I, if I would do that, like how I could kind of aggregate all uh, that together. Cause I would want to do something where I had the truck camera pictures related mm-hmm. to like 
because you're looking at it as a week, right? Yeah. And but within that week, it obviously has like the multiple days, yeah. and so I would want to break that file down into like here's you know Sunday through yes. Saturday, each set of trail camera photos for each day, and then that screenshot, yeah. so I know. No, like, the, and then just label it like core area, core whatever yeah. it is. Like, yeah, I'm trying to think about how I can kind of. No, do you? I guess that. if you have a um, camera data organizer, I use. Yeah, I mean, I don't have any affiliation. Yeah. I mean, I know John Livingston who owns yeah. Deer Lab, and so yeah. I've I've been using that for years just to organize yeah. my organize my stuff. Yeah, so I guess you could use that along with a screenshot because it's going to break down time frame. Yeah, but I don't know that I can get my screenshot in there, like to actually put it with the uh, well, the pictures. Can you screenshot? Well, you can screenshot off your computer, and then you have his information, and then you can screen. You know, send. Yeah, your I would screenshot. just have to look. I would just have to look at both. I'd have so, to have like my screenshots in a file, and then pull up my yeah. Deer Lab in a file, and then yeah. look at the pictures, and then look at the screenshots for like the dates, you mm-hmm. know. But yeah, that would be man. Well, yeah, I had a lot of people like, "Why don't you use a regular journal?" I'm like, I, I do when I'm in the woods. Like, right. I, I did it on my phone. I mean, I, I got a, I got a bunch of my phone. Um, well, but, the way I think that that's really useful is like a lot of the places, like, for example, like some of the places that we were just talking about that I was scouting. It's like, I kind of know now because I've had two years worth of trail camera data that I've been able to watch. But one thing that that, that is super helpful for and what I'll probably use it for is like a piece that I've never that I've just started running yeah. cameras on. I'm thinking that Big Woods piece yeah. that I've been that I've been I scouted last year, right, is going back and looking at those photos and probably going back and look at the historical yeah. You know what I mean? And seeing like what the prediction was mm-hmm. essentially, and then being able to start to understand more quickly what's the transition, yeah. what's a core area and what's like this dude's running his full range. Yeah. And I'm, the only chance I would ever have seen him in this general area would be on a full range day or, or during rut. Yeah. Now back to the full range day, like I'm primarily a bed hunter. Like mm-hmm. everybody's looking for that full <clears throat> range day. Right. You're not, I'm not right. I'm looking for core area days. And if I got beds, I'm getting, I'm specifically only hunting beds on core area days. I, I started to, you know, when I, when I have, but this year I'll be back in the marsh a little bit on core area days, strictly bed hunting. Yeah. Because the, the Intel works. I, I have faith in the Intel, mm-hmm. you know? No, I do too. It's like, I've watched it play out yep. too many times. For so me. full range days. It's not my, it's not my bag, I guess, you know, mm-hmm. I guess some people are looking for it. I'm not. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I think what full range days is helpful for is so if someone's planning like their, you know, their vacation to go yeah. rut hunt, you know, because that's what that is. It's going to mm-hmm. give you the best chance for a deer to randomly yeah. walk by you. Yeah. You know, that's essentially what it is. It's like, but if you're hunting deer close to bedding and stuff like that, it's like, yeah, you want that transition. And one or, thing I, I want to go back to, like I said, uh, with all my screenshots and whatnot is, he said the transition areas, because we all have scrapes. Mm-hmm. When those scrapes are, are, are getting hit, what days mm-hmm. are those scrapes getting hit? You can actually break it down like rub scrapes, mm-hmm. you know, because there's scrapes near transition areas, in transition areas, and there's scrapes near field edges. So I'm assuming if you ran scrapes on field edges, full range, you'd probably have a lot more action on those. Yeah. And those scrapes closer to bedding, you'll probably on the core area days, you'd probably have. So there's a lot of things you can do with that, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, yeah. I, I, there's just so much information, too much information, actually. You you, you make yourself crazy yeah. trying to, trying to digest. But all I think that I want to really go back and our, our prime dates, you know, October 20th, October 6th, you know, and mm-hmm. Halloween. Cause like I say, once the November 1st or 2nd hits, I think most information is pretty much out the window. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, especially in Jersey. I mean, they're chasing does. Yeah. I mean, at that point, you know, they're running. Yes. You know, and it's just a matter of hunt doe bedding area. <laughs> get on the downwind side of doe bedding, yeah. you know, or, or if, feed, you know, or if you're lucky and you, you know, you find a doe who's going to come in yeah. and, and she's wanting to feed in a specific area, yeah. just watch yeah. her. You know, I, I watched that play out in, in yeah. Kansas. Um, but I think, I think it's crucial for October to have this type of intel. Not crucial, but I think it helps you. That's oh. just another tool, you know, to be used. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, the the nice thing is, you know, is that what what's in that app is actual collar deer data. So it's not it's not uh, it it's not um, subjected to human, human error. error. There is no human de- still alive. Right? There's no there's no debating it. Yeah. You know, it's like you can say that you know. Well, you can't even say that. It's on the app, like when you when you put in your zip code, it's it's pulling the collar deer data from the areas that that you live, like mm-hmm. so the area that's closest to you. It may not be collar deer like in your neighborhood, you know, or but it would certainly be from your state wherever there's yes. collar deer from your state. So you have to take it with a little bit of grain of salt as far as you know, um, what's the weather in your area versus where the collar deer might be. Yeah. But it's gonna be it's gonna be damn close. Yeah, because deer, I mean, for the most part are creatures have it like us mm-hmm. you know after two or three years you pretty much know what a buck's going to be doing mm-hmm. you know or a group of does gonna be doing you know and we're just we're very similar right you know? and the other thing is too it's like it's taking weather into account so when it's looking at it it's looking at the colored deer data right it's what's called machine learning yep. it's like you're looking at the colored deer data let's just take pennsylvania for example and you're looking at it through the way it's aggregated I wish Bill was here to kind of make sure I was getting this correctly. But like when you say you have a thousand years worth of collared deer data, it's not that there's a deer that has lived a thousand years or, you know, it it is the aggregate number of deer that you have. Let's say that it's a hundred and you followed them for 10 years. You know, that's what makes up. Yeah. (laughs) That's how that, that's how science, that's how that works, you know? And so what you can do when you have all that is you can now look at, okay, now what do deer do in Pennsylvania? Just on, using PA as an example. Days. <laughs> on days that have wind from five to ten miles per hour, you know, and now you can because you've seen that that a thousand plus, you know, yep. like millions of permutations yep. of data points, you can now with a pretty high confidence interval say that when the wind does this, deer in this area will likely do this. Yeah, and you, you have know? your you said you talked about outliers earlier. Like there's some random you know deer that don't do this. Well, they're out of the you know out of the norm. The deer yeah. that do this way too often or you're out of the norm. You kind of got to get, you know, I guess it's just, it's, yeah, I'm going to mess this up. So I'm going to stop talking. What it does is like, because you have so much of the, so much data, it's like you start to, the, the outliers don't have the same, the same impact. Yes. You know what I mean? So it's not like you have three data points and one deer did something completely different than the other two. Well, that's, that's a third of your data. You know what I mean? Like that's a significant piece of your data, you know? So, yeah, I mean, just the way that it's structured, the Intel is very, uh, you, you're really able to execute yes. against the, the, against the data. It's like, I've seen it kind of play out too many times where it's, where it's accurate. It doesn't take the guesswork. It doesn't take the hunter work out yes. of it. You still have to know what spots you yes. need to be in. You still have to know how the deer are going to be traveling. You still have to still be a hunter. It's just clearly telling you what your better days are to be in what places and yes. what types of places, you know, it's still your job to do what you're saying, yes. which is how do I qualify what this spot is? Because if you're hunting in a, 
in a full range spot. You know, the way I described it to, to somebody was, is that what it has really helped me do is that I still do the qualifying of the area kind of on my own. I love what you're doing because it's expediting that mm. qualifying. Is it core? Is it transition? Yeah. Or what is it? But the way I really use it is like, say, for example, like that one deer I was trying to to kill, the one I was scouting this past week for, right? Where he was most killable on like a core day, because I thought I knew where yep. he was bedded, the wind was wrong for that spot. But I knew that he was also likely to be in this other area that had another kind of primary mm-hmm. scrape that was kind of in the transit in his transition area. It wasn't super, super far from bed. But the wind was right for that spot. So what on a transition day would allow me to do is to hunt further away from his bed in a spot that the wind is better for me, or maybe the access, the wind is better for my access for that spot that day. And I still have a chance to kill him because he's more likely to move further from his bed that day. Mm. Now I still have to give the deer the wind. So he's confident in coming to that spot. So you still have to do all that stuff correctly. It's just telling me when is the time to get up in his business and when is the time I can back off of him and still hunt him? Yeah. You know, and that's really kind of what I've, what I've used it for. And one thing I, I know you like in years past, like just being a bed hunter, like going out into the marsh and I've had mature deer at two o'clock in the afternoon come in on me as I'm setting up, mm-hmm. you know, like I got you know, one stick on tree, hugging, bear hugging a tree. And it's like, <laughs> Hey, look, there's a 130 inch deer standing right at me at, at 10 yards. Right. Like I wonder if they were full range days. Mm-hmm. They're getting off their beds a little bit earlier and coming in to feed a little bit earlier because it's like, oh, it's a good well, day to be great, moving. That's a great, uh, that's like, another great example of like, it can like, oh, dude, that's such yep. a good, like if you still want to hunt the bed, yep. right? Even on a full range day. Got to get in there super early. Right. Because I've had that too many times coming in. It's like, it's, and this is like first week of October, last week of September. Like I'm sweating. <laughs> I'm down to like, you know, uh, a cutoff shirt, like just drenched in sweat. And it's like one thirty. And I'm literally getting set up or getting ready to pull my bell up. And here comes the reeds. And it's a mature buck. And mm-hmm. it's like, where are you going? It's like, <laughs> it's one thirty in the afternoon. Like, dude, like, where are you going? Because yeah. there's still plenty of daylight. There's still like six hours of daylight left. <laughs> right, right. But it's like, are those full range days? Yeah. So I, there's I different ways that you could use that, right? Mm-hmm. It's like the one the way I'm using it, which is I can back off of him and still yep. have a chance so long as I'm giving him the wind and doing all yep. the stuff I need to do to make sure he'd be willing to travel mm-hmm. in that direction. Or what you're doing, which is like, okay, it might be a full range day. That just means I can still hunt the bed. I just need to get in there make instead sure. of it at, at three o'clock. Yep. You know, I need to be in there by noon. Yep. So I make sure he's not up moving bef- while I'm yep. there, while I, while I'm setting up or before I get there. Yeah. Yeah. Man, that's awesome. Uh, we've been going for like an hour and 40 some odd minutes. Sweet. You got like a, you got a bit of a hike home still. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to keep you too late. So, uh. We're going to go ahead and shut this thing down. Before I do that, though, let the good people out there listening know where they can follow along with one Mr. Bowhunting Fiend. Truth from the stand. Just Instagram, uh, Bowhunting Fiend, some YouTube stuff, Instagram stuff, you know, same. Get it while it's hot. Yeah. Cool, brother. Well, uh, thanks for coming on. we got to do it again soon uh, sure. now that you're working human hours again. Yeah, I'm normal. It's great. Normal person. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. And if you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And hell, while you're at it, head over to YouTube and give us a sub there too. I'd be super appreciative if you do those couple things for me. 
And before I shut this thing down, I need to give a big shout out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Tethered, Spartan Forge, Exodus, and Skull Brew Coffee Company. And until next time, we'll see y'all. All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do hard shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.